In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Thompson Lotting, and today we are talking it up with the book The Silmarillion and the first season of The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Joining me for the discussion today are the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. Heyo! And P. Diddy, Patrick James DeGeese III. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the show, guys. That we've talked on Tom and Joey Unfiltered about your comedy business. In short, you put together a touring show of comics that travels backwards Minnesota playing bars, Girl Scout campouts, and other venues. How's business, Patrick? <laughs> Fantastic, man. It's uh, <laughs> I love doing it. I uh, just had a couple of sold-out shows. I got booked on a, uh, a show with Mary Mack, who most oh, people probably okay, haven't yeah. heard of. She's a voice on Solar Opposites, and... Uh, She's the, it'll, it'll be the biggest show I've ever been on, uh, audience of like 350 people. So I'm, yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. I've heard of her before. Okay. Ah, congratulations, dude. And thank you for continuing to slum it with us on OIO. Hey, no problem. It's going to start to cost you soon. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean more than I already charge him on Patreon. <laughs> no, cost you, Tom. It's going to cost you, Tom. It's going to cost Patrick more? I don't understand how this works. I'm excited. Yeah, keep that keep that sweet money rolling in. But <laughs> Hobbybox, you just turned 40. Happy birthday, my friend. Thank you. We have now been friends for roughly half our lives. Good life decision or what? I mean, it seems like it's so far, but only time will tell. I mean, you know, it, it's, one of, it's one of those things like I, you know, life has been good. I haven't fallen under the throes of Sauron, unless you're Sauron. Is it? Is this podcast your eye of Sauron trying to reach out to the darkness of people and draw it out, Tom? Honey, Burns is on to me. Now I have to murder him. <laughs> this is Tom. Instead of it being, a, you know, a big orange vagina in the sky, <laughs> this is just Tom's vagina that he shoves into your ears to try to lull you over to the Dark Lord. And now as I'm editing the show, I get the uh, moral question of do I bleep out the word vagina or not? I don't think so. It's it's. I was bleeping out dick the other day. It's a body part, and uh, you know, let's just have this be you know, part of if there's kids listening, their sexual education. You know, as as oh, I've got great, a great idea for a new segment. Now. As the great kindergarten cop once said, <laughs> "Boys have a penis, girls have a vagina." It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. I've seen that movie, Casey. Get to the chopper. While we're speaking about Arnold, now say you had a time machine and you had the ability to go back in time and eliminate like one person from all of history. It wouldn't be me, right? No. Good. Good. Patrick? <laughs> eliminate? No, not you. What would you do to me in the past then, Patrick? <laughs> I wouldn't eliminate you, but... He, he would pull like almost the Marty McFly, but he would carry it over. He would go back and meet your mom and become your dad. <laughs> Though you would be a little bit twisted because you'd end up being more like Pat than your dad. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a weird thing to think about. <laughs> you're, was, you're the one that brought up time travel, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, I was just at Deer Camp this last weekend, and 
the guys up there are it's my uncles and my cousins and one of my uh, uncle's family friends from way back in the day and they are just obsessed with the fact that my father is pound for pound the toughest son of a to ever play war and high football <laughs> not not the best but pound for pound the toughest the toughest okay <laughs> like you could take a beating and still get up <laughs> yeah pretty much bleeding yeah. from every orifice but still just got in the trenches and yeah. And back then, were they wearing like leather helmets without the face masks oh, and no. stuff too? No helmets. It was all. Oh no helmets. Yeah, it was okay. like oh. bare knuckled all the time. Yeah, shirtless too, tough. probably. Yeah, in the snow, uphill both ways. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Noldor. Thank you to our, <laughs> thank you to our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. You can follow us all on social. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow Burns at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. You can follow Patrick on Instagram at PatDeGeest. You can follow his comedy trappings at PatDeGeest.com. That's PatDeGeest.com. Or follow him on Facebook at PatDeGeestComedy. As for me, you can follow me at TomSlogicOIO on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, or follow the show at Facebook.com slash OutsideIsOverrated. And for those of you that don't know, DeGeest is spelled D-E-G-2-E-S-T. So. Thanks. I, I was excited when I got, like, PatDeGeest.com, then realized every time I say it, nobody knows how it's spelled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try going through life as a logic, my friend. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you. Uh, yeah. I can relate. I can relate. I, I've had it super rough. Yeah, burns. <laughs> Please consider supporting the show at Patreon.com/oio. It's easy. You go to Patreon. You set your pledge. You enter your credit card info, and you're all set. What you get for your support is a an invitation to our exclusive Patreon appreciation party every summer. You get a giveaway item at the party, and you get the entry for a grand prize at the party. Last year, it was a Joe Burns five. <laughs> It's like now we're getting like these multiple tiers of find and replace changes. <laughs> You'd think that maybe I'd start like redoing show notes from the beginning so that they were nice and clean, but like no, we're just uh, we're just gonna keep rolling with this forever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this year we gave away an Xbox Series S. You can sign up at Patreon.com/oil. Contributions start at just two dollars, and where that money goes is to buy the media that we consume for the show, and also to pay for advertising for Outside is Overrated. We're going to start this show with a discussion on The Silmarillion. I would wager that everyone who listens to Outside is Overrated Willingly has some level of familiarity with The Lord of the Rings. If you haven't read the trilogy, I'd wager you've at least seen Peter Jackson's movies. <laughs> Either way, you have some level of familiarity with Tolkien's genius. For this show, we are going to focus on the book The Silmarillion, released in 1977 after Tolkien had passed. The Silmarillion is a series of short books put together. They detail the creation of the Earth through the First Age of Middle-earth. Essentially, this book in painstaking detail covers creation of the Earth, creation of the first races, the Valar, the Elves and Men, the corruption of Elves, the endless conflict between Elves and Morgoth, the mercy of the Valar, and along the way you follow short stories dedicated to a ton of individual characters, most of whom have more than one name, and many of whom have very similar-sounding names. Yeah, it's actually the endless conflict between the elves and Melkor. And then he becomes Morgoth later. And I think he does have, like, two other names, too, by the end of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's Morgoth that stuck with me, so that's, that's why I'm going to roll with this. <laughs> the first thing I want to ask you guys, and Patrick, I'm looking specifically at you for this. 
Why do you think that this book was released posthumously after uh, J.R.R. Tolkien had passed? It was released by his son, Christopher. Do you think it was released posthumously because it sucks and Tolkien knew it? Posthumously? It's posthumously. <laughs> oh, my God. Great, great. Well, leave it in leave yeah, it in let's roll it it's an education this is this is all an education this entire episode whether it be about sex token or you know pronunciation we're just we're all learning together here yeah well i don't want the whole world to know that i'm an idiot like i like to reserve that for my closest friends i, I wouldn't say you're an idiot i would wager that everybody out there has always read a word but never said it out loud and when you hear someone else say it, you don't recognize that's the word they're saying. And then when you say it and get corrected, you're like, oh, that's what that is. Okay. Well, it's fascinating because, like, I make my living. My day job is content marketing. Like, I am literally a writer. I spend all day, every day just writing stuff. And, like, so when I come across these words <clears throat> or, like, I, it's egregious with names on the show because I never, like, say the names out loud before I actually get on microphone. But it is just horribly embarrassing for me to realize that like i've been mispronouncing a word for literally my entire life that's all right i was like that with niche for a long time i would say niche because i just thought it was niche yeah i, I thought it was niche too until see, this very second same here. so yeah so yeah it's it's actually niche because it's what, french i think but yeah so but there's lots of there's lots of words like that it's just it's the power of the English language, which is that it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, my niche is bagging on the Silmarillion because it sucks. Patrick, I'm going to come back to you with my... Uh, po post posthumously? Yeah. Post Nailed it. Yeah. Wow. Posthumously. Posthumously. That feels weird to say. Yeah. Patrick, why did this book get released? I mean, well, um, imagine you're Christopher Tolkien, right? Your dad passes away. It, it, He's known for uh, the greatest work of fantasy that has ever been released, and you now inherit his estate. You know, you could just sit on it and uh, uh, cash in on royalties, I guess, and not work for the rest of your life. But I think, I think, from what I know of Christopher Tolkien, he's a big fan of like organizing his dad's notes and uh, kind of expanding the Tolkien legacy. So, you know, he had seventy uh, percent of a book finished there you know lord of the rings is the it was the biggest fantasy novel out there at that time it was the only sure. fantasy novel out there wasn't it wasn't lord of the rings like the torchbearer for the entire fantasy genre uh, to my knowledge i can't i mean probably we'll go with it yeah it's, <laughs> it, it is canon now yeah. it's the first first biggest fantasy novel for sure yeah yeah, and so you know you're sitting all the, on all these notes that you, that your dad has, and you can uh, uh, let them waste away in obscurity, or, or release them, and hopefully expand your father's legacy and make some money. So, I mean, that's probably what I would do. Yeah, I mean, you know, who who would turn down money, right? Patreon.com slash outside is overrated. <laughs> slash or OIO. OIO. Yeah. There you go. I hear it all the time. You would think I would know it, um, but uh, ultimately, so the interesting thing, because I was looking into this a little bit, and. So this, the beginnings of the Silmarillion, uh, Tolkien actually had prepared after The Hobbit because they wanted a follow-up to The Hobbit, and this was what he first started creating. And it got turned down by his editor because it was like, this is not very good, too complicated, it's all <laughs> over the place. Uh, and he didn't have everything together yet with it. But um, And so then that's when he started working on and created the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which... You know, ended up being amazing, but he 
always kept kind of returning to this. And his idea with what he wanted the Silmarillion to eventually be was that it would be told. It would be the same stuff being told, but it would be told from different characters' perspectives. Sort of like how mythology and history is passed down in the olden days is that it's it's passed person to person. And so you would be getting, say, say Bilbo, maybe, because, you know, Bilbo in The Lord of the Rings is all about history and, and whatever and, and chronicling himself. Um, and so maybe a, a chapter would be him recat, recounting one of the tales, but it would be from his perspective in some way, shape or form. And another one would maybe come from Gandalf or Elrond or something. Um, telling kind of this story from that vein, but he never really got back to that point. And so then it was, yeah, taking all of these notes. And, you know, this is just, the Silmarillion is really just a small encapsulation of probably all of the things that Tolkien ever read or wrote, I mean, about Middle Earth. Um, Because, you know, he, I mean, he created, what, how many friggin' languages Uh, (laughs) just for this? Because that was his, like, his, like, habit, his, like, his secret hobby was creating languages and he started creating languages at like a very young age with his friends um, and all sorts of different things. And so that was his love. I mean, he was a linguist um, by, by study after he got out of the war and everything like that. And so, so really that's like kind of what it came from. And, and his whole thing with the Lord of the Rings in general was that he wanted to create a uh, mythology for the British people that wasn't rooted in like Christianity, you know, it could still have spiritual natures to it, but he wanted it to be a mythology that, that people could like follow as being like the mythology almost of their people. Now, granted it kind of evolved past that and became its own world. Um, But that's kind of like some of the interesting things about Tolkien and the Silmarillion specifically from what I kind of surmised online. I think people can already tell my feelings towards the Silmarillion. (laughs) Patrick, I don't think this is hyperbole to say that this is your favorite fantasy work of fiction. Is that correct? Uh, That is correct. Yep. You are crazy, my friend. What (laughs) what stands out to you about this book? (laughs) It's weird that we're going to disagree so much on this, but uh, uh, for one, it's just the epic scale, right? Like like you mentioned, everybody's familiar with Lord of the Rings, um, and people think that in itself is an epic story. And then you get into Silmarillion and like all the events of the Lord of the Rings are, are a few pages. Well, it's a of the, it, the Silmarillion. It's the fourth book. It's roughly 40 to 50 pages. Okay. It's but arguably it's a, the best part of the book. <laughs> but really, just the exact things that happened in the Lord of the Rings with Frodo and everything is encapsulated in like the third to last and second to last pages of the of the entire collection, right? Um, yeah. And well, just so you think, you know, how, how big an epic Lord of the Rings is. And then you realize it's mostly just the uh, the big name surviving players of the first and second age. You know, the, the, the Balrog is one of the big moments. He's just like perhaps the only Balrog who survives, uh, you know, the big wars with the elves and, and Morgoth, right? When At a time when they had army of Balrogs. Same with Smog the dragon, uh, you know, same with Sauron, uh, Galadriel, Elrond. You know, back in that time, you know, everything, everybody was that big. And I, I guess I just like that grand scale of it. Well, it's interesting that you like the grand scale so much. I thought that was one of the detriments of this book. 
Um, there's going to be endless comparisons to LOTR, and that's not what we're here to talk about, but I think the comparisons are inescapable. LOTR follows maybe nine core characters around. This book has an index with like a thousand different characters in it. <laughs> to me, the epic scale is a detriment because I didn't get enough like time to get my head around all four names for each of the different characters. Yeah, so I think part of that comes down to the name of the book, though, because the Silmarillion, when you translate it back from uh, the Elvish means a story told by referring back to the index constantly. (laughs) Um, Because as I was reading the book and a name would pop up, I would be constantly flipping back to the back of the book and finding that name. And, oh, okay, it's that person. I think I remember them. Did you enjoy that? Like, for me, that is a detriment. Anytime I have to leave the page, the word, the sentence that I'm on right now and have to flip to a reference material, that is a detriment to me. That breaks the immersion and slows down the experience. I would not say it was, fun, like, enjoyable to me, but it was definitely helpful. Um, but I think when you're trying to tell a, st- a story on, like, a macro level as opposed to, like, the micro level of something very specifically focused on one character in The Hobbit or one set of characters and one story arc, which is like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Here, when you're trying to tell the whole history of everything in the mythology of this world, um, you know, you have to kind of do that. And I think that's, that's like the main difference here is that the Silmarillion is a mythology and history book compared to you know, a storytelling focus of this is the story I want to tell with The Hobbit. This is what happens. So if you're looking for a fantasy novel, read something else. Well, yeah, if you're looking for that prototypical fantasy novel, like this is like a reference book is is more what I would put it. This is like the Encyclopedia Middle Earth. Encyclopedia Middle Earth, that's an interesting way to put it. Patrick, one of the things that stood out to you was the style of writing. Do you just sit around reading encyclopedias for fun, my friend? (laughs) Uh, well, I do, and I was going to say the exact same thing. Like, it's not it's not a traditional, I guess, novel, which seems to be a, <laughs> a big complaint for you, and it might be for others. I do. I love history. I read a lot of history books about subjects that, uh, you know, that I'm interested in. So that's that's probably why I really like this and maybe why a lot of people might not like this. But, uh, yeah, I, I like the combination of kind of history textbook style with mythology. You are a strange person, my friend. I read <laughs> I read a fair amount of nonfiction, too, and you can tell an interesting tale in nonfiction without it just being a slog of Fingolf and son of Finn or son of God knows who else. Like, it doesn't have to be biblical to be uh, uh, factual. <laughs> well, I don't know. I like the blend, I, and I like the way it transitions, you know? Sometimes it's just talking about uh, the family trees. Uh, sometimes it's talking about the, the layout of the map. Sometimes it really goes close up and, and follows uh, Baron and Luthien yeah. or follows uh, Turin. I, I guess I really enjoyed that, you know, that that switch from grand scale to uh, just following one person around for a few few chapters. I guess probably my biggest struggle with it is that grand scale, because traditionally, if things don't happen on Earth or in like a setting that I'm familiar with, I do not care. Like drawing a comparison to Game of Thrones, anything outside of Westeros? I could give a flying frick about. But eventually it's going to impact Westeros, right? So that's why it's in there, is that eventually, maybe, if it ever gets finished and written... It won't uh, be. <laughs> you know, it will It will come to roost. 
Um, and hopefully in a, in, a, in a way that's a little bit more palatable than it did in the show. But uh, One last thought about Westeros. I thought that George R. R. Martin did a phenomenal job of building the world that Game of Thrones is set in, from Westeros to everything else that I don't care about. I thought Martin did an exceptional job. Tolkien, he had the epic scale in the Silmarillion, but for me, the world building didn't really grab me, but I noticed it's something that you both feel strongly about. Burns, what what elements of the world building of Tolkien's work in the Silmarillion appealed to you? So, I, like, one of the things, especially at the very beginning, I mean, because, you know, in my studies as being, like, to be an English teacher and everything like that, we had to read mythology, and I had to teach mythology in some instances, and, you know, so the, the, the creation sort of myth or creation story of Middle-earth I thought was intriguing about how it all started with a song and how the song is what permeates through everything. And that is like the will of, God, I can't remember the name of the god. Iluvatar. There you go. Goes like, gets transmitted to everybody kind of through this song. Before you go on, I'm with you at this point. Like, I thought the creation of the world was very interesting. I'm like, oh, this could be a really interesting book. And then for me, it was largely a slog for the next 300 pages yep because then and then you have like the valar which are like the first kind of um demigods demigods uh, they are what basically the elves kind of descend from and the Maiar, which are the females of the pantheon kind of if i remember correctly um and then it's like okay and then then they're going to create the elves and the elves are going to go on to the world and then the world is going to get shaped this way by this one and you know, each of the gods, you know, it's similar to a lot of, like, other pantheons of gods. I guess the one that jumps to my mind is, like, Final Fantasy fourteen. the gods that they have in there. Each of them has, like, very specific things that they do. Like, one's the builder. One is about, one is, like, the god of the traitors and stuff like that. So it's very, like, almost Grecian or Roman inspired mm-hmm. in that sense that all of these have kind of these different methods. And then they kind of put their influence on different peoples based upon those people's focuses. So like the dwarves eventually um, were, was it Olmo? Was he the one that was the God of like create of creating and like crafters and stuff like that kind of. Yeah. I believe that's right. Who yeah. Created the dwarves. And so he did that. And then like the seafarers was like the sea God that kind of like influenced them. And so it was cool to see sort of him kind of pick and choose and take different pieces from these different mythologies and kind of make it his own with this. Uh, And then eventually, like, I mean, I guess maybe it wasn't intentional, but like Melkor um, was basically Judas, right? He was the one that was always the contrarian. I mean, he was a lot more malicious in, in what he was doing. Whereas I think you could say maybe Judas was more of like a patsy sort of, Um, but yeah. and, And then it's like, there was in this one, set of darkness that's all that it really takes to kind of try to throw everything else off balance and corrupt all of the other you know quote-unquote good that is being created by all of them and then that's what sets up kind of all of the conflict that happens in middle earth and everything else from that point forward you said that very simply and elegantly i wish that the book had just been that shave 300 pages out of it (laughs) And just uh, burnsify the hell out of it. Patrick, you also love the world building. What grabs you about Tolkien's work in the Silmarillion? I mean, Joey hit on a lot of it, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it's the shaping of the world. They talk about how the uh, Melkor goes in there and, you know, raises the mountains really just as defense for himself. 
Um, you see a lot of this is west of of the events that happened in Lord of the Rings. And uh, I guess we should say spoiler alert, but in lands that no longer exist. <laughs> like uh, like after the gods destroy them. So, you know, literal world building. He talks about uh, uh, just, again, Joey mentioned the languages, but uh, the elves where they kind of divide, you know, some stay in Middle Earth, some go back to Valinor, how the, the languages divide and, I had a book for a while that was just about Tolkien's invented languages, and he, you know, he he talks about the, how the wor the words for different things differ based on, you know, where this group of elves lived compared to where that group of elves lived, and that's like things like that are just such a, a amazing attention to detail that I haven't seen really anywhere else. I mean, it'd be great for a D and D campaign. It'd be a great mm -hmm. setting to play a tabletop role playing game in, but for a book. I don't know. I, maybe I just don't like mythology. Maybe that's the core issue here. Maybe mythology is just not for me. It could be. But there are many things about this book that failed to grab me. Well, and I think it could also just be like having it, wanting it to be like a cohesive story from start to finish and have some sort of a through line that's easy to follow, right? Or, or not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be easy to follow, but just doesn't take as many twists and turns. Because it's really like a collection of short stories more than anything, right? Um, and it, it goes kind of chronologically from start to finish, I think. It feels like there's some things that jump around in time a little bit because there's references to kids and then we get the story of how their parents did this or... I, I don't know. It does get confusing reading it from start to finish with the way that it kind of delves off at times. So I agree with you on that too, Tom. And it's interesting hearing you say that made me think back to the witcher which is also a collection of short stories mm -hmm. that sometimes has some wonky timeline stuff thrown into it and it's just i don't know man the witcher was a much more enjoyable experience for me than the silmarillion so so maybe your beef isn't as much with tolkien and the stuff that he wrote but then it's with christopher tolkien and how they put it together to release it that could be because I do honestly I believe that Tolkien is a genius and like a master storyteller and for my love of LOTR and The Hobbit The Silmarillion was a huge step back for me and it just didn't there were elements of it that I liked that we'll get into here just a little bit later with the different short stories and the different characters that grabbed us but uh, there were elements that I liked but ultimately it was just a slog and I got to a point where I stopped referencing like the back of the book I'm just like whatever I don't care who that is I don't care who that is I don't recognize that name whatever just keep reading just keep turning the pages I, I read every word in that book but man it was a slog Mernsey I think you enjoyed this a lot more than me what were mm -hmm. some of the elements or what was the first element of this book that grabbed you what was one of the characters of the stories that really resonated with you uh so like the first thing that like because I'll agree that it was tough to get through the very beginning parts of it. Like, I like the creation part of it. But then once it got into, like, the initial parts of, like, the Silmarillion itself and the first few chapters of it, like, it, it was kind of hard to keep track of because that's when they're, like, naming all these elves and, like, all these different lines and the, the separation of them, the, the Noldor and the Sindar and the blah, blah, blah. And I, to, this, to this moment, I don't really remember the key distinctions between them other than like ones lived mostly underground and ones lived in the forest and ones were like the really ones that the old or were the ones that kind of permeated through everybody and were the best ones apparently but patrick let's put you on the spot here this is your favorite work of fantasy fiction do you know the distinction between the different types of elves in the silmarillion oh yeah i mean Noldor are the ones who uh who have been in valinor at least for some part because they were uh 
they were all created and appeared in Middle Earth. The Noldor were led back by the gods or the the Valar, you know, Tolkien's version of the gods to Valinor, which is uh, I guess paradise, their version of paradise. Mm -hmm. The Sindar were the ones who just stayed in Middle Earth and have never seen Valinor. I would have been in Noldor. All right, well, Patrick's... <laughs> you were you were in my Merp campaign when you named your guy Derek McDonald. <laughs> and you would just... You named your Noldor elf Derek McDonald and were there for comedic relief. <laughs> Which was appalling to me. Now that you've read the Silmarillion, you can see why. Like, those are the highest of the high elves. <laughs> And I think I think you made me roll to be a Noldor too, didn't you? And I had yeah, some... yeah, we did a pure random, and you there's a very low chance of ending up as a Noldor elf in Middle Earth, and you you rolled it, so I said, "All right, you earned it, man," and you just bastardized that character. <laughs> and now you can really just understand the full level of your trolling, Tom. This is like yeah. kind of epic. How this so the Silmarillion's a great work of of work of art because now you fully realize how truly Tom you were. <laughs> and they they're the best of the best of the elves. So so for reference for people who haven't read this, like the only Noldor elves in Lord of the Rings are uh, like Galadriel and Celeborn. That like that's it. <laughs> yep. And Elrond's half Noldor, isn't he? Wasn't his mom? Uh, he Noldor? was. Uh, he's never. He, he's half. He's he's a son of one, but he has uh, never been to Valinor fascinating well i'm glad that i could ruin that for you at a very early stage of our life i had completely forgotten you had about no it. idea yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, working back to your question tom uh the first thing that really grabbed me was when melkor and then ungoliant which is the kind of mother of all of the spiders um and is like the progenitor of shalab from hobbit right shalab was in the hobbit um no shalab was in lotr or was it lord of the rings I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I get the beginning of I get the fellowship and the Hobbit mixed up as to which events exactly happened through the two of them um, from time to time. But, uh, but yeah, that I really like that part. Like, and they're just sort of rampage through things. And um, I think part of the reason why I got that was because I was like, I saw Ungoliant. I was like, I don't remember seeing this name. Who the heck is this? And then I went back and I saw that it was like, you know, the ancestor of Shalab. And I was like, Oh, okay. It kind of, it finally like connects to something that I recognized um, and that drew me in a little bit. And it's just cool because they're on a rampage of just add, making everything darkness that they touch. Yeah, they ruined everything. It was uh, That was a pretty interesting part, especially early in the book. Patrick, a character that stands out to you from the Silmarillion. I mean, I love a lot of them. My, my top two would probably be Feanor and Turin. Now, Feanor. Feanor is the one who made the Silmarils, right? Yeah, he was kind of like they... they I He's the him... worst, dude. <laughs> well, he becomes he, the worst. He causes a lot of the evil in the world, but like pretty much all of it, you know, unintentionally. But uh, he's that first domino to drop. But he's also, uh, I forget how they call him, the, the most spirited or fiery of, of all the elves in existence. He was the most skilled in craftsmanship. So he, uh, he traps kind of like the light of the, the trees of life in the Silmarils. But he's also, uh, he's hot-headed, he doesn't listen to anybody, he's vengeful, and he, uh, you know, through all those sins, kind of causes the downfall of a lot of people. <laughs> he was corrupt. He was corrupted faster than Boromir, dude. <laughs> I mean, but I, I just, I like the story. I don't know. I like the... Uh, the fall uh, from grace? 
yeah the fall from grace and the, the flawed heroes the the potential and and not living up to it or or using it you know it ends up being used for evil that kind of thing i Turin is similar, just on a smaller scale, I think. Before we get off of Fianor, so like when news of Tom Brady's divorce broke earlier this year, were you just like cheering and like pumping your fists like, yeah, suck on that, Brady? I mean, he's the he's the Feanor of the NFL, right? <laughs> he's just, uh, he's on his endless quest for glory and he won't let uh, rationality or people he cares about stand in his way. So are his are his Super Bowl rings his Silmarils? Is that what yes. it is? And then there's going to be in like 50 years, there's going to be this huge battle to track down all of Tom Brady's Super Bowl rings in yeah, order how to many like, sons unite the does world. He have that... <laughs> Take the oath. To, to fight anyone for the Super Bowl ring. <laughs> Patrick, you mentioned Turin. Remind us of his story. Was he the Black Blade? Yeah, yeah. He was uh, it, just real tragic. And again, I, I don't know why. I like tragedies more than happy stories or comedies. He, uh, you know, his father was one of the great leaders of men. You know, uh, he did so much damage to Melkor that Melkor kind of put a, a curse on his house. And uh, Turin, Turin felt a lot of that. You know, I don't know how much I want to spoil it for people, but it's it's really a good like uh, Greek tragedy tale kind of thing. Well, and Turin Turambar is like the Book of Job from the Bible, but just more malicious. And it's like, just you know, Job was given a lot of like bad like bad stuff just constantly happened to him. And with Turin it's like bad stuff keeps happening to him, but it's being done by someone that's just malicious and in intent. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's because of Morgoth's, you know, has imprisoned his father, Hurin, and, you know, is basically cursing them through that and he can never he can never rise from the curse. Like there's no way he's ever gonna get out from under it, even if he tries. Um And it's just sad. It's like, it made me think of the basketball line uh, where it's like, it is raining on Turin Turambar. Like, (laughs) like that's just, because that's just constantly what it was. And then it's like, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to spoil it to some extent because this book came out ages ago. I don't know that many people are going to read it, but it's like, so then, you know, all this stuff happens. His entire line is killed. And then uh, Morgoth lets uh, Hurin go and lets him go out. And then it's just like, everything's just crap for him too. It's like, it's like a blood feud of, I curse you, a pox on you and your family. It's like that to like a millionth fold of what like Morgoth just did to Hurin and it's just, and, and all of his descendants and it's just, and it's bonkers. And, and don't forget that the dragon tricked his sister into like marrying him. Yeah. Trick, yes. Tricked his sister yeah. to marrying Turin. <laughs> And then, yeah, and then it's just like, yeah, they all, like, die or off themselves in some way, shape, or form because of the tragedy of it all. And Yeah, he ends up accidentally killing his best friend. Yeah, his, his sister eventually, you know, regains her memory and re- realizes their brother and sister and yeah, jumps is, into a ravine. <laughs> what's the what's the first name of Strongbow? Beric? Baron? Belig. Belig. Belig, that's what it was. He was my favorite character from that story. Like, I think he's awesome, and he's like this... He's like, he's kind of like Sam Gamgee in that he's like this friend that like is going to go and do whatever he can for, for his other friend and try to, try to bring him back, try to help him. Like he's the one smoothing everything out with, uh, with, uh, I can't remember which one of the, of the Elven Kings it was, but he's the one smoothing everything out. He's the one trying to bring him back to the light. He's the one trying to do all this. And then it's just like, oh, he gets confused and stabs you and kills you. 
Well so, done, Bob. Well done, man. So it's like if Frodo, after he threw the ring into Mount Doom, turns around and just like slices <laughs> Sam's head off, and then he's just like, oh, and then he goes home and and like marries his amnesiac Hobbit like sister, um, <laughs> you know, and 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 yeah, it's just yeah. Frodo never flung the ring into Mount Doom. Frodo never completed the act of throwing the ring into Mount Doom. You give him too much credit, too much credit for Frodo. Uh, but the question that I have for you is, who's the worst friend, Turin, Turinbar, or Frodo? I mean, would you rather be accidentally murdered by me, or would you rather have me betray all of Earth and just say, oh, I'm going to keep this important thing that is the root of all evil after you carried my up this mountain? Uh, well, let me turn that around on you, Tom. Mm -hmm. um, would you rather me not carry through on something you wanted me to do, or would you rather I kill you? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Don't bring your logic into my discussions. <laughs> Frodo's the worst. It's a good thing there's not a knife around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to prove it, Tom. Yeah, just a whole bunch of paintbrushes. <laughs> That'd be hard. I guess, oh, there's scissors. Keep those away from the baby. Patrick, you also loved the huge scale battles in the Silmarillion. Which uh, which battles really stood out to you? Um, this, this is another thing that maybe is just specific to me. I love uh, uh, society's downfall, I guess, in a lot of different mediums. You know, I'll watch uh, uh, War of the Worlds. I love just the beginning, you know. <laughs> I love the beginning where they land and just, you know, cities fall one by one. Uh, Independence Day, that, that sort of thing, when the cities get blown up. And so in uh, Silmarillion, uh, there are some kind of great, uh, you know, well-known strongholds. Uh, Nargothrond, Gondolin are kind of the big two. And, they, you know, their their whole creation and purpose is to withstand Morgoth uh, in, in any attack, in any age. And so, uh, you know, when they start falling, you know, Morgoth is uh, he's pretty tricky. Nargothrond kind of falls through uh, through Hebrus, partly through Turinbar, Turin Turinbar. Mm -hmm. So that's that's another uh, another part of the curse. Turin has such success fighting against Morgoth that he kind of you know reveals this partially hidden city. He says it'll be easier to release our armies if we you know create this big gate over the river that is uh, kind of a natural defense for us. And again, that's that's I think part of the tragedy tale that I like a lot is uh, you know is is that aspect of it. He's doing so well, and ultimately, what it leads to is uh, making the enemy easier to uh, invade and overthrow the city. And Gondolin falls in a similar similar way, right? It uh, wasn't that uh, Huron that revealed the path to Gondolin. That's Turin's yeah. father. What a terrible family. Yeah, they, they yeah more, more everything they touch. <laughs> yep, and and so Pat. Uh, does the quote from the great Alfred Pennyworth, some people just want to like to watch the world burn. Is that like you to a T since you just love all this death and destruction and everything? Yeah. I don't know why. I think I, uh, it's my love of uh, tragedy tales and uh, putting myself in survival situations. I was, well, you know, what would I do if I was in uh, war of the worlds or Gondolin <laughs> when they were invaded and everything's going to sh would I just die instantly? Would I be smart and be able to get out of there? <laughs> Patrick, we've talked about your dreams on this show before. Do you dream about your friends surviving the siege of Nagathron? 
Or is that specific to the Aliens franchise? <laughs> no, no, I do have dreams. I do have dreams where it's me and my buddies. We're fighting some unseen force. And, like, uh, you guys you guys are dropping pretty fast, like flies. And I <laughs> I can't stop it. <laughs> but I so, try. So so if you were in Numenor, uh, who would you have aligned with? I guess this would be a general question for everybody. Do you think that you would have actually, like, uh, followed... What elf friend? I keep remembering the translation of his name, but I can't remember. Elendil. Yeah, Elendil. Uh, would you have followed Elendil, or do you think you would have fallen under the uh, under the uh, deception of Sauron? Elpharazon. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, Pharaoh? That's, that's a good question. Basically, right? <laughs> that's a good question. I do have a streak where I, I dislike authority and kind of rebel against that, so I could. I could potentially have been corrupted and just been like, yeah, man, the the, the Valar are a bunch of ass. Why are they uh, withholding <laughs> immortality from us? Let's go get it. <laughs> Let's go get it. I, uh, I'm on a different side of that battle. I think that perhaps Morgoth and Sauron were right and that all the elves are and they all should die. Numenor got what was coming to it. <laughs> Hashtag Team Sauron. <laughs> I mean... so, so you're saying... That the elves should have died. So you were behind By what the end they of... were doing, but then you're happy that they got destroyed for doing that? You're, like, contradicting yourself, Tom. By the end of the Silmarillion, I'm like, you know, <laughs> everyone in this gets so corrupted so easily. Like, apparently no one can withstand corruption. I think Tolkien's point through this entire experience was that no one is above corruption. Nobody is pure. Nobody can withstand corruption or evil. Nobody can be can not be turned from their path. And I, I personally don't believe that. I think that people and characters have a moral makeup that could potentially withstand corruption. And so those elves. I think there's a, a little bit of a caveat to how you perceived it or described it in that. Disagree, but go on. It, I think what what the point is, is if you give in to wanting that power, you can be turned. So, like, if you lose yourself to the promises that whatever it is could give you, what Sauron's telling you could give you, um, or or what, you know, doing this deed would do for you. Like, if you give in to that, you could be turned from your, your good ways. Because that then, you know, is a seed, and that seed can grow, and that seed can get stronger. I think that is what Tolkien is going for, and it's just that... People, I think, a lot of times, like, give in to that and and will, like, just sort of roll with that some more. Now, there's a few cases where it's not necessarily like that. Like, Turin, I don't know that he had really a whole lot of options around, like, what he did, you know. And some people are just broken by the torment and, and, and deceptions of what was done to them. But I think that's more so, like, what he – or what, what, like, the message of, like, Tolkien's things are. And then – it takes a long time until you get people that fully understand that and believe that. Um, and they're just like very briefly mentioned like Mithrandir slash Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings, knowing that he can't take the ring of power because it will twist him and corrupt him and turn him into a dark Lord. Um, so is this an early advocacy for Darwinism? Only the strong possibly. survive and everyone else gets corrupted. Or to go back to our Brady comparison, if he had just gone to Michigan, got his engineering degree, and like worked on building bridges. <laughs> well, like 
well, uh, what there's, I can't remember where the saying came from, but like what, like power corrupts, right? And the more that you like try to get more power, the more that that like turns and corrupts a person. Um, and so I think a lot of that is like the backbone of like a lot of what's happening in the Silverillion, a lot of what happens in the Lord of the Rings, you know, I mean, cause you see, especially in the Lord of the Rings, countless times where the power of that ring and wanting that ring turns a person, you know, you get it with, uh, you get it with Bilbo, you get it with, um, with Boromir, um, you know, and so many others. And there's even a moment where Gandalf like thinks of wanting to have it, but doesn't, you know, uh, not Faramir. So suck on that, Peter Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to transition off of this point, Burns, another story that you really like, I, I should also say, I'm enjoying this discussion a lot more than I enjoyed my time reading okay, well, Silmarillion. <clears throat> I like thinking about the lessons from the book, but you also enjoyed the characters, are the tale of Baron and Luthien. Yeah. Is that the one with Morgoth's crown? Yes. Uh, eventually, yes. Yeah. Tell us about Baron and Luthien and why this stood out with you. So, so Baron is a human, right? And Luthien is the... Um, the princess of the Noldor, right? Of Nargothrond, um, right? She's the only, she's the daughter of uh, uh, Thingol and Melian. There you go. And so uh, Melian is one of the uh, the gods, actually, the Valar. So uh, yes. it's it's the only essentially half elf, half god in existence. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and, and Thingol, you know, basically didn't want to, you know, she, he knew that she was a special woman and so on and so forth. And and there was first, was it Maeglin, right? Was the first kind of human that came there <laughs> and like fell in love with Luthien and wanted her. But then like he was already kind of twisted and dark from like what, uh, unless I'm, I might be mixing a couple of stories too at this it's, point. It's a little mixed. Mi- mi- <laughs> Didn't you guys read the uh, the the appendix? <laughs> Did you check it enough? Maglin, Maglin, yeah, he was a dark elf. He kind of lived in solitude. He loved uh, Idril, who was Turgon's daughter. Oh, okay, okay, that's the story I'm getting mixed up. That part of the story I'm getting mixed up. But anyway, Baron is a human. Um, he's well respected um, and falls in love with Luthien. And it's the first like, it's the first merging of um, our, well, yeah, it's the first merging of elves and and humans. Yeah. Um, and so it's like this tragic kind of love story. Um, and, you know, it kind of goes through all of these twists and turns. Um, and, and basically it ends in them needing to decide. So she basically Luthien needs to decide if she wants to remain like an elf or I mean, she'll still be an elf, but she basically then becomes like has the human constraints of like her life will end and 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 and, and everything like that. And I think. It's just it's it's interesting and it kind of the story permeates through a lot of other things. It's mentioned in the Rings of Power, you know, and I think it's also mentioned. I think it's also mentioned to some extent in Lord of the Rings at some point. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like that tragic love story and like the the like lengths that people will go to for that love. So like Baron ends up getting captured by Morgoth and then Luthien goes to save him and. And there's just, it's just like this huge epic story of the lengths that people will go to for each other, kind of. And so I think that's one of the brighter spots of here where people don't just end in tragedy and drama completely. And I, I should say it's kind of it's kind of set up by uh, the Silmarils, which really yeah. drive every everything in, in this entire book. Right. But, uh, they're kind of the, the three most precious uh, 
items in the world. By this point, Morgoth, uh, you know, the most evil force in the world, has them all. And Thingol, King Thingol, thinking this will this will end the chance of Baron and Luthien getting together, says, you know, mm -hmm. you can have my daughter when you uh, when you bring me a Silmaril. So he's essentially for love has to break into uh, Satan's stronghold <laughs> and and steal some of his treasure to uh, to win the hand of this lady from her father. Essentially, a death sentence. Yes, right. But you know, and again, I don't want to pull it off, but. Uh, Again, there's a through line in this to Lord of the Rings too. Like it's mentioned a few times, certainly in the book, and I, I think they they do the song in the movies about Baron and Luthien with you know while Aragorn is camping with the hobbits, mm -hmm. and and that survives to be you know one of the most retold tales in the history of Middle Earth. So you know it's it's fun to see the origin of that. Yeah, that story was pretty good. And is that why Aragorn wants to bang Arwen? Yeah, because he likes that song so much. <laughs> right, he's, it's just, it's he's kinda, reliving it. Yeah, it's kind of Baron and Luthien cosplay. Yeah, it's kind of like if someone gets a girlfriend uh, whose name is Stacy, then they're like, "Well, I gotta bang your mom. Like, she's got it going on. Like, even if I mean, she could she could look like Danny DeVito as a woman, right? But you're just like that song. It just makes me want to do it. It's a good jam. <laughs> Where does the Silmarillion rank amongst Tolkien's other works or other fantasy? Patrick, greatest. You're, you're really sticking with the greatest fantasy <laughs> story ever told. Yeah, we've covered it. Greatest fantasy story ever told. Look, Beats I, everything. I would equate it to the embarrassing uncle who isn't invited back to Thanksgiving. <laughs> Burns, I think you're somewhere in between us. Yeah, I, I think when it was originally started by Tolkien, so you know, the early 1900s or early to mid 1900s, um, it probably would have fit in a little bit more with like how people are used to absorbing fantasy stories um, to some extent anyway. If but, I had read this back then, I'd probably say, oh, maybe I just don't like books. Maybe I should go uh, <laughs> learn archery or something. Your tastes would have been different though, Tom. So maybe not. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah, well. Maybe that's what we do with the time machine. Fire it up. You go back. We, we erase your mind back like three months. You haven't ever. We'd have to also erase the Lord of the Rings. So it's like you, you've read The Hobbit, but not The Lord of the Rings. And you get to read The Silmarillion back then. You know, you, you, you put down your newspaper about the Great Depression and you're like, well, I'm going to read something more uplifting. And you pick up The Silmarillion. <laughs> and the dust bowl is blowing around out, outside behind you and. Yeah, maybe then you're just like this. There's a tear going down your eye. It's just like greatest. when a bobo sees himself. Yes, yes. This is the greatest fantasy story ever told. Now I have to go back out to the bread lines. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I wasted my one ride in the time machine for this. I guess I, uh, maybe I'm a little impulsive with my decisions. <laughs> Speaking of time machines, I've often, I, this is another thing that I've daydreamed about. It's like if I could waste a time machine, I would bring like the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion back to Tolkien when he was just getting started and say, hey, you're done with all this now. Now create more, you know, <laughs> or, or finish the Silmarillion that you didn't finish and then uh, and then write what you would have write. You know, keep world building, you know, because th there's so much that uh, is untouched in Middle Earth, right? Like the dwarves kind of get shafted. They're always just sort of a, a side race. And you hear brief mentions of like the seven great dwarf lords and they're, you know, 
how their fortunes were established. You know, I'm sure he could have written books and books on that. And so I kind of wish I had a time machine to expand Middle Earth. <laughs> Don't forget to uh, bring the briefcase full of cash, too, so we can afford to just focus on Derek <laughs> McDonald and his kin. <laughs> Oh you would just goof off. <laughs> <coughs> a Nolor elf who's just like uh, <laughs> I don't know, as Tom as they can be. Yeah, uh, I am the perfect troll. Final thoughts on the Silmarillion. First, I thought that the Silmarils were in the book very rarely for a book called the Silmarillion. They're made, they're captured, they sit there. Something happens to them at the very end. <clears throat> uh, but ultimately, I think that the Silmarillion is only for the most hardcore fantasy fans. Like, if you know that you like dry reads, if you enjoy sitting down with an encyclopedia and just <laughs> <laughs> reading entry by entry, yeah, maybe you like it. But, boy, if you're just, like, a casual fan of the LOTR movies, I think that there are many other fantasy books that you will enjoy much, much more. I would say if people have read like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, kind of like I did, like I read it when I was a teenager, really enjoyed it. I watched the movies when they came out, well, the Lord of the Rings movies when they came out, um, really enjoyed them. Um, and I watched The Rings of Power and spoiler alert, really enjoyed it. And so then I think in that instance, if you want to know more about the history and lore of it, and especially if you're somewhat interested, kind of like I am of like, at some point I would like to create like my own world for like a D&D campaign or something like that. And so I think it's kind of neat to look at, get a glimpse into how someone who created um, arguably the, the greatest fantasy world um, that we know, um, like how he like delved into that. I won't go anywhere. I'd scratch the surface of that if I created a D&D campaign or just a world of my own in general. Um, but just to sort of get a glimpse into like the thoughts that went into that and how that was all developed. Um, I think it's good from that perspective as well, but it's a dry read. So be prepared for that. I think would be the biggest thing. Yeah. When you create your world, can I be like the ultimate force of evil in your world? Can like, you have a character that just demands tribute from all of his closest friends. Tom core. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Or would you rather be Tom, Tom goth? Just Tom, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> or Derek McDonald. Derek <laughs> McDonald. <laughs> the one true troll Patrick your final thoughts on your favorite fantasy book The Silmaril I mean yeah. I won't The Silmarillion is fantastic I won't even disagree with you guys it's a tough read and I'll I'll repeat what I recommended to you guys uh, listen to the audiobook you can find the audiobook for free on YouTube it's I've read the book once I've listened to the audiobook about six times it's just easier to do you know do it on a trip do it when you're mowing the lawn or something you get all the pronunciation of the names correct it's much easier to consume that way um uh, like we mentioned maybe i love it because i'm a history fan maybe you got to be a big history guy or mythology guy to to really get into the way it's written if you want a more of a traditional story uh the tolkien estate probably christopher tolkien has released uh individual books that are like just sections of this like one is called children of Hurin, which is it just focuses on Hurin and Turin, which is again one of the best stories in my opinion in the book you know you could start with that it's it's a lot more just uh you know what might people might expect from a fantasy novel and i will say i'll echo that uh i know i i've talked to a couple other people that have listened to the audio book version of it and they really liked it 
So that might be a more accessible way to get to it too, kind of like Pat said. I'd just echo that from something I've heard from a couple of people. And I'd say read The Witcher. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, that's mostly it. Again, Tolkien fans obviously will love it. That's that's why I read it. It's it's weird to me how seemingly obscure it is, you know, for for how big time The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are. And it, it might be just because it's a difficult read, but uh, they're, you know, I think a lot of old old English classics are difficult reads, right? Like I tried Moby Dick. That I thought that was awful. I couldn't finish Moby Dick. So, you know, I would say this is an easier read than that. Good perspective. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> read at your own peril. So, uh, hey, fellas. Uh, in addition to being a comedian, I'm also a male homemaker. And uh, recently, while cleansing my kitchen... I had to move aside some of my appliances, you know, you get that grease and grime below the stove. Had to like throw a few shoulders into that to get that out of the way to get a, a good scrubbing underneath, but it kind of kind of really wrenched my back up. You guys have any ideas of where I might go to, uh, you know, get that resolved? Absolutely, Patrick. Check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident and homemaking injuries and more we suggest seeing dr camille in golden valley minnesota learn more at premierhealthmn.com that's premierhealthmn.com next up we are going to break down the lord of the rings rings of power this amazon prime exclusive show released earlier this year it has a metacritic rating of 71 an interesting thing i saw looking at the reviews out of the critic reviews zero negatives zero negatives there were some mixed but no purely negatives Interesting with the user reviews, it has a user review rating of 2.5. There are nearly 2,000 negative reviews to 500 positive. 2,000 negative reviews <laughs> to 500 positive. Did, I, uh, did you read a smattering of them to see like what the reasonings are for it? No, I uh, I looked at the number. I'm like, oh, that's a good stat. That'll really stick it to the guys. <laughs> because, uh, I mean, there's a conversation I think that can be had about... Uh, fanboyism or about um maybe some racial or sexist kind of insinuations when it comes to people's views on things that especially that amazon has done with their shows um interesting i could see anyone that doesn't like strong female characters this show not resonating with them but let's um let's dive into that a little bit further down this show was created by patrick mckay who has done nothing else and john d Payne, who has done nothing else (laughs) first thing i want to bring up before i even talk about who's in the show or the setup of the show like is it it an odd choice to give the most expensive tv show ever made to two people who have never made a tv show before like did i miss something here like why on earth did these two guys get the rings of power I guess I don't yes. know enough about them, but that is weird. Yeah, like it uh, It was written by them. I think they're the showrunners. Like, <clears throat> it just it surprised me so much. I should have tipped you guys off that I wanted to talk about this. Uh, but these two guys in charge of this massive fantasy property with so much amazing potential. Look at what the Lord of the Rings movies have done for fantasy film in general and how it brought LOTR to the mainstream. It's just, it's crazy to me that those creators had done nothing else well one of them it looked like wrote star trek beyond whatever that was these guys both worked together on that it looks like they were uncredited in it 
So I wonder if it's like they came in and like saved a version of the script or something like that and were kind of like the fixers or whatnot. It could be that they've worked in development for a lot of things but weren't credited on it. There's that possibility also. Sure. Well, I mean, even if that is the case and they have a long storied uncredited career, like it is interesting that this is the first thing that mm-hmm. they got their names no, definitely. stuck to. This show stars, <laughs> God, here we go again, Morphid Clark. That's, I think that's right. Yeah, as Galadriel, 28 credits including my favorite Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Roger Aramayo as Elrond, 17 acting, 17 acting credits including Game of Thrones and The Kingsman. He was young Ned Stark in Game of Thrones. Which I thought was cool. Like, wasn't young Ned Stark like real young in Game of Thrones? He was like a late teen. Yeah. Hmm. Sweet. Ismail Cruz Cordova as Arondir. He has 30 acting credits, including The Good Wife, Burns' Favorite, and Sesame Street. I looked that up. I did not. He was in apparently five episodes of The Good Wife. I did not remember what his character was from the name of it. Yeah. Remember the time you missed the fantasy football draft because you were watching The Good Wife? Well, I mean, I came in a little late. Um, <laughs> yeah. My quarterback was Eli Manning. The two times that I've had issues with fantasy football drafts my quarterback ended up being eli manning and he was just mediocre fantasy wise it was that one when i missed the first half of the draft because i was watching the good wife and then it was when i was running an auction draft and i was paying too much attention like running the auction because i was running it on a spreadsheet that it's like i finally realized halfway through oh i haven't been on a quarterback yet who's left eli effing manning Great. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> also starring Charlie Vickers as Halbrin. Five credits, two are in post-production. I thought it was interesting that a main character in the show was such an inexperienced actor. This show is based on the appendixes to the book The Return of the King. The Rings of Power centers primarily around Galadriel, Elrond, and Erondir. Galadriel is hunting Sauron even though there is no trace of him in Middle-earth. Her passionate pursuit alienates her from her people and generally irritates everybody. She is a tempestuous warmonger who smashes into everything like a blind, enraged bull. (laughs) Elrond is working to make a partnership with the dwarves. His people are facing extinction, and he is suckered into manipulating his friend, a dwarf prince. Arondir is guarding the Southlands and is in love with a buxom human from How I Met Your Mother. (laughs) He stumbles across the Eric and struggles to save an ungrateful settlement with an emo teen. Did I miss any of the key points? Uh, we're going to keep this. There is something that happens in the show that yeah. is very spoiler, and we're going to avoid that part of this. So this is going to be a primarily spoiler-free discussion. Yeah, no, I agree with Of that. the Rings of Power. Uh, Bernsey, I want to start with you with my first question. How excited were you to wipe your ass with the Silmarillion to see these inferior takes on mostly established <laughs> characters? I mean, yeah, that's not a leading question at all, Tom. Uh, Perfectly fair and balanced. <laughs> I... I ultimately was interested to see something new in the franchise and see what they could do with a series as opposed to just making a very, 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 very long movie. So I I think, you know, there's like, like Pat was saying earlier, there's so much more that hasn't really been delved into or extrapolated upon in Middle Earth and like just the, the stories that could happen within that setting. And so... Um, I, I was just, I'm, I was just looking forward to seeing that delved into more. It's funny. I planned this show because I thought the rings of power was going to be based on the Silmarillion. I was in complete blackout mode about the rings of power. So I knew literally nothing about it leading up to it, which wound up being a detriment because like I was reading the Silmarillion and then I start watching the show. I'm like, what the hell is this? This doesn't feel connected. I 
truly hated what they did with one of the characters. It was, it was very strange for me. And generally, when I consume media, I love... If there's something that I'm excited for, I always go into blackout mode. Like, I didn't pay any attention to Cyberpunk before it came out. Oh, it turns out that was a disaster. <laughs> and just any any media that I'm really juiced for, I just I try to ignore everything leading up to it so I can experience it for what it is. Patrick, you love Tolkien. You love Middle Earth. You love the Silmarillion. Where did you come into this show from? Uh, I'm real similar to you, Tom. Uh, the more I like something, the more I try to avoid, you know, any knowledge, uh, you know, before the the show or movie is released. So I tried to do that with this, at, you know, being uh, so in love with the Silmarillion. I too thought this would be a series based on the Silmarillion. I uh, that did slip before it was released. I saw some headline or something that was like, no, it's really just the uh, the appendices, which was. Uh, a mixed bag for me you know i i don't mind them ex expanding on the appendices but uh i kind of felt like i guess probably you and i both felt about the gunslinger movie like you have such great source material such fantastic stories that already exist why would you why would you expand to something brand new and if anyone uh, goes back and listens to our discussion on the gunslinger movie like that is hard company to put any media in <laughs> you reviewed the movie and outside is overrated and i think you gave it like a three and i said in our discussion on mike that that was too high yes <laughs> <laughs> the to be clear the rings of power is not that bad this isn't a horrible show and like ultimately i didn't enjoy it very much but i don't it's not like a dumpster fire it's not a mm -hmm. it's not a horrible thing i just uh there are elements of it that didn't do much for it there are other elements that i didn't really enjoy one that stood out to me was Galadriel. I liked everything about Galadriel except for her name. If they had called her literally anything else, made up any name for her from Middle Earth, anything elven sounding, I would have liked that character a lot more. But, like, I know Galadriel. Like, Galadriel's in LOTR. Her husband's in LOTR. Oh, now her husband's mysteriously dead. She has such a strength and calm presence in LOTR. Like, to see her as a tempestuous late teen warmonger really just mm -hmm. irritated me. But this was, like, hundreds of years previous, right? And also hundreds of years after, like, Morgoth. So, like, she, she's she been around for a long time. Like, maybe she's young in terms of elves. I can I can accept that. But, like, to see, to see, like, no patience, no calm, no presence, like, no awareness of her surroundings, that was just, that was really hard for me. And I like, like, I like the story arc. I like yeah. what happened with that character. I like the growth that I saw. But I just, that... None of it said Galadriel to me. So I guess here's where we're hearkening a little bit back to what I was talking about earlier, right? <laughs> Sorry. That shouldn't have made me laugh. Tom was drinking a drink of coffee and the coaster was stuck to the cup in it. It confused Sorry. the hell of both of us. We're just like staring at it. <laughs> what are we talking funny. about? Are we still on time machines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd go back in time and make sure <laughs> Iron Man stayed in his place, which was on the floor. Yeah, I'm going to uh, get it. Or on the table, I guess. Um, but uh, anyway, so I think this, this harkens back to what I was saying before. And so Galadriel's mission was just, right? Like, she was making sure that the orcs were not going to be a problem and saw that as long as the orcs existed, um, because of kind of what her brother had said, as long as the orcs existed, that darkness could still exist in the world. Um, and so that 
in its own was just. But as she continued to delve deep into that, like that led her then into letting some of that darkness seep into her character because she became obsessed with that. And, and, you know, because she was basically, and this is stuff from the first episode, so I'm not ruining, I'm not ruining the show. So I feel like it's fair game. Um, because she gets so interwoven in that and she gets so like one track mind on that, that is where like the darkness starts to taint her as a character. Right. And so then when she is finally confronted by pretty much everybody, including her friend Elrond, that like, you know, you just need to, <laughs> well, this is going to be putting it a little more lightly, but you just need to go to the afterlife and deal with it. Um, you've done enough here. <laughs> Goodbye like, forever, my friend. Yeah, it's a, that's a little harsh, Elrond. Come on, dude. Um, Especially considering it's his mother-in-law. Well, well, right, which they don't really address at all. They don't really address yeah, that, that. No, there's a little bit of if so. There's a little bit of weirdness that you could go to with that. Um, but anyway, but I think that's like showing some of the like it, it's 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 one of it's evidence that's shown in a lot of the characters of how that darkness can seep in, even if you're doing something completely just and you think in that. If you get too wrapped up in that, that can turn you to doing things selfishly, not paying attention to the rest of your troops and pushing them ahead to the point where they're almost getting killed and they're getting hurt and so on and so forth on this like sort of one track minded quest of, 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 of trying to eradicate this thing that killed your brother. Um, and that is, even though it was a just cause to start with led her to darkness. Um, and so then throughout the rest of it, she's trying to kind of, I think, learn how to get past that, but still to utilize her strengths, which she's definitely a renowned warrior and is able to, um, you know, contribute to that. But like, like how does she move forward from that? Like almost dying, almost being gone, you know, finding out that she was going down a dark path and needs to kind of atone for that. And I think that's good. Like even in the Lord of the Rings, Galadriel, like there's like that one instance at one point, and granted that might have just been the machinations of Sauron twisting things in uh, Frodo's head. But there's that one moment where she like there's like that darkness where she's talking to Frodo, right? Kind of about the ring mm -hmm. uh, uh, and stuff like that. And and so it's like I like that aspect of you know this is a version of that character. This is that person before they've evolved after hundreds of more years. Um, so to me, I feel like that makes sense and it doesn't seem like it's not Galadriel. Um, and so I think that's where it rings true to me, at least for her character. And, and I'll admit, I'm not like someone who's read the books multiple times. I'm not someone who's watched the movies a zillion times. I haven't like read all of the appendix. Actually, I haven't read any of the appendices. I hadn't read the Silmarillion until, uh, leading up to this show. So it's not like I am like a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Um, but I, I think to me, it still felt like it rang true to and could fit with the character that I've known of Galadriel before. So Patrick, are you team birds or team Tom? Uh, I'm a bit in between, although I probably lean more team Tom. Yeah. On this one. Say that again. Yeah. Again, it was almost the Derek McDonald treatment of Galadriel here, <laughs> I felt. Like, again, she's, as we mentioned, she's a, a, a thousand-year-old 
Noldor elf. I just, you know, I'm, I'm fine with a strong female leader, but they made her to be such a, a poor leader many times, especially that open scene where, you know, they're, they're trudging through the, the frozen wastelands and like one, one of the elves is weak and tired and she's just like, leave them behind. Like what? It's it, she's as much as uh, of the main character of this series as anybody, and it's just weird that like that's one of your first introductions to her. She's almost got like a Captain Ahab obsession with vengeance, and she'll she'll let fellow elves die. She'll uh, you know she's hot headed. She like insults the 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 queen of Numenor when you know just being uh, diplomatic which she should have those skills after 30 years would serve her so much better. And I don't know if they just making her that, that hot headed to inject conflict, but it, it, it felt really out of character for me. Um, I, I guess the flip side, I, I, I what Joy, Joe mentioned about, uh, you know, that scene with Galadriel in Lord of the Rings where she kind of becomes dark and is tempted by the ring. Uh, that, that dialogue is almost taken directly from a scene in rings of power so I, I did like that tie-in and she kind of failed you know i don't want to give too much away but she kind of failed that test in rings of power and uh, uh you know brings the same language back but passes that test in lord of the rings so i, I did like that tie-in but uh, overall i was kind of disappointed with how they presented galadriel well all that i've already railroaded us on a specific character patrick what stood out to you in the rings of power as a whole before we drive into more granular discussions I just couldn't wait on Galadriel. Like I had to fire that volley. <laughs> sure. I, I honestly, uh, without saying too much, I was mostly disappointed by the show. I loved the cinematography. I love seeing kind of these epic locations that uh, uh, have been in favorite stories of mine forever. You know, you get you get you get to see Numenor. It looks it looks incredible. Uh, you get to see like uh, Moria. You know, before it becomes corrupted in uh, in Lord of the Rings, uh, you, you, even just you know it, nameless lands that they're walking through. You know, virtually every landscape is just incredible and fantastic, in my opinion. Yeah, the cinematography was very strong. Burns, I think they did something with the way they transitioned between areas that stood out to you. Yeah, I really like because what they would do when the story would jump to another area, another set of characters in another area. They would show like the transitioning on the map to where that is in Middle Earth, and I think, I, I think I really liked that because it was that was one thing that I ran into in the Silmarillion a lot was they would be okay, they're fighting in this place now, and I'd flip back to I think it was page one twenty one, um, uh, or it was right around there where the map was, and I would just sit there scouring it to see if that word was on there and that word wasn't on there so i go back to the index and it's also called that oh, okay there it freaking is um that book and, sucked man <laughs> <laughs> and so so for me then in the rings of power when they were going to these different places like it helped to set the setting in a very quick and easy way and transition from one thing to another um when it would have just been discordant if it would have been like you know, fade to black, fade back up in there. Oh, hey, look, it's uh, it's Elrond now, and he's going to this mountain. Uh, okay, all right, we're here now. So I, I, I really like that. I really like how they, they did that. It was a really good way to transition through things. And it's just, maps are cool. So I'm a nerd, but maps are cool. Yeah, I'm going to get you a shirt made that says that. <laughs> One of the things that stood out to me is the 
production value on the show is incredible. Like whether or not you enjoyed it or not, like I think we can all appreciate the amount of money that went into making the show look great. Like there are some fire effects that are just freaking incredible. Like it visually this show was really stunning. Uh, and then another thing I want to call out again, it's character driven for me, but this was another hard pill for me to swallow, but Isildur was a little b Isildur, like he is a prominent character in the Lord of the Rings lore. Like he is, I would say as important as Frodo because he yeah. basically kicks off the entire Lord of the Rings. And like, I just hated his portrayal here. Like, do you guys think I'm off base for picking at these characters and not just accepting the show for what it is? Because I do this a lot when there's adaptations. Like, it's like, is this tied to the original works? Do I need to completely sever my knowledge of the existing works to enjoy this? And I think with Rings of Power, you have to. And then, like, looking at the characters individually, even without knowing Isildur's role in the grand scheme of Tolkien's works, it's like I did not like his portrayal. I did not like that character. So... I, you, know, you just opened up like eight cans of worms that I want to go down. So <laughs> starting with Isildur, I did think that that was a weakness. Though <clears throat> looking at it this way, um, not all great leaders are born great, right? Not all people whose fathers are great leaders are instantly going to be great leaders, right? And so they become great leaders from the actions that they take and the things that they learn along the way. And so... Seeing Isildur as a teenager, because, I mean, his age had to have been, he was like, what, 15 to 18 or something like that in this. Um, he doesn't have it all figured out. He's torn between wanting to follow, like, his brother's path of what he wanted to do and then wanting to follow his father's path and be like a, a you know, work on the ships and, and work his way up on there. And then when his friends are going to go to war, you know, he wants to he wants to be a soldier, but he... He hasn't put in the work to do those things. And because at one point he was given um, station because of his father, he's kind of leaning back on that as a crutch, right? And it's just like, well, you could just pull the strings and get me there, right? Um, and he's like, no, not now, especially when I don't want you to effing go. Like, you know, and, and so I, I like that aspect of it, even though, like, you know, he has this huge name, right? That, like, I mean, he's important in the entire story and you see him doing, like, not a whole lot. And, you know, he has some good moments, but, uh, you know, I, so I think I, I, I liked it. I, I was fine with it. I thought it was a weakness because you just, they did everything that they could to make you dislike the character. It seemed like, you know, in some instances, but you could also associate with him a little bit, I think is one of the, is, is one thing with that. I've, I've, also, I lie. Like, I can't I can't sever all knowledge of the source material. Right. And reading The Silmarillion, one of my favorite moments in The Silmarillion is when Isildur <laughs> sneaks back into Numenor and steals the fruit from the yep. the white tree and, like, is nearly beaten to death for that action. Yeah. Like, that is such a heroic action, and I don't see any of that in his character in The Rings of Power. Yep. So, here's my theory on all of that. Because I, I believe in the second season, the whole Numenor stuff is going to be an important aspect of it. So in the show, there is an extra person in their family, right? So Isildur has his brother, but then in the show, he also has a sister. Um, Ar, I keep wanting to say Ar, and I have it brought up. Let me look. Yeah, Ar, Arian. Um, that doesn't exist in the books. 
I believe that a lot of the things that Isildur does in Numenor in the books leading up to the fall of Numenor, her character is going to do. So she will be the one that will lead like protecting the trees and do a lot of those things, um, which I'm, I'm perfectly fine with. And then Isildur will have probably, there will probably be something else that will happen with that character. I think in my opinion, how convinced are you of that fact? Where I'm coming from is, unfortunately, the age that we live in, media rights are a big deal. And Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, only has rights to the appendixes of The Return of the King. It doesn't have the rights to the Silmarillion, so no one can steal that fruit. Like, bad things are coming for Numenor, but it's not going to... It can't happen like it did in the book because they don't have so those it, rights. It might not be exactly the same, but I'm sure there's some ways that they can take some forms of liberty with it. But I feel like the the role, the heroic role that Isildur played in that, I believe is going to be played by her character. Because she's already been focused on a little bit as like kind of working with the, the Chancellor dude and whatever. And then, you know, she is there for kind of an important moment of what happens in Numenor in the, and she, in the show. She gets to see what in the Palantir and God only knows what she saw in there. Right. And so... So I feel like that's they've kind of split that character a little bit and she's going to have some of the things that happen with him kind of story-wise, historically, um, from the source material. Um, and it's, that's going to go forward from that. Then, Patrick, let me pivot to you here. Are you going to lose your mind when in The Rings of Power, eventually Isildur's sister cuts the finger off of Sauron and he just, like, Frodo's the ring? I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen, but go ahead, Pat. <laughs> No, I mean, I'm pretty disappointed already. They, I think they can only go up from here overall. I, uh, I'll, 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 again, probably fall in between, two, in between you two guys, but largely uh, land on Tom's side with Isildur. Like, I, I, again, you know, when I heard this was first announced, uh, you know, a, a Silmarillion TV series would have been in my top three nerd wishes of all time. And that's what I thought I was getting. Along and, you know, with, like, alien with pajamas? The, <laughs> yes, and they're going with the appendices, and I I just want to wanted to see these uh, epic heroes doing epic things, and they clearly want to do an evolution of character with like Galadriel and Isildur, which I can't even uh, blame them. You know that's what that's what storytellers do, right? They go on the hero's journey, but yeah, I I, I don't like seeing Isildur is like a, a essentially senior high school student trying to decide you know if he wants to join the navy or if he wants to go off to college and he's flip-flopping and he's like manipulative and <laughs> kind of dumb and stupid but like, like he like what what do you what would you want him to be like is he just going to be already like a leader of men and like instantly he is just like perfect at all of these things like that, that like that's the thing like it, that's not an interesting story at that point like if, if that person's going to be a focal point for a season or two or three of a TV series, you can't have them start where they end. Like, they have to have some form of the development from one point to another. If Galadriel was just like she was in The Lord of the Rings throughout this entire series, she might be a cool character, but she's not a character. She's just like this, this sort of idealism that's all the way in there and and she's not going to do any wrong and that's not an interesting story and that's also not going to lead to like 
that's not going to lead to the downfall that needs to happen leading up to where the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings were at. And so I think that's the thing. Like in these books, we get so little of these characters and we just get the idealized version of these characters, but they had to screw up multiple times along the line for things to go to the way they did. And so now that like a series is starting to delve into some of that a little bit, like they're not going to be the goddesses or the gods that they were at the end of the story that we've seen, you know, for five seconds or five minutes in the Lord of the Rings. You know, they're, they're going to be complicated people that that screw up and learn from it, hopefully, and make things better, you know, because because I think that's the thing. Like, otherwise, the darkness and the taint that happens that Sauron is able to do to all of these people like, it wouldn't actually make sense for that to have happened if you don't see the sort of grayness in people in any of these characters. If all these characters were just the idealized versions of them, like, you're not going to see any of that interesting stuff. And so I think, you know, and, and that's like leads to another like point that I kind of wanted to bring up is the the difference between kind of adaptation, which this is an adaptation of a very small section of works, right? And then that of like recreation or emulation, you know, like you have the Zack Snyder recreation, almost like panel by panel of Watchmen, right? Um, you know, some people really like that movie. Other people don't because it, it doesn't break any new ground. It doesn't break any new ground. It's not as interesting because it's a different medium, right? And so, like here you're making a story where there really isn't a whole lot of source material to guide that. And you're trying to really build a bridge between the Silmarillion and the works that already exist in video form um, that people have seen and watched and have beloved. And you're going to make decisions on that to try to get to points. And you also have to have conflict throughout that's not just everybody against Sauron or everybody against Melkor, right? There has to be some level of that. And there's conflict amongst all of them throughout the Silmarillion all the time. And so, you know, now it has to do the work instead of just saying, oh, yeah, there was much discontent created in Doriath and people formed into two camps. Or, you know, Numenor, people were, were you know, tricked by the honeyed words of Sauron. Like, they actually have to show that happening now. Um, and, and so you have to create scenes to do that. You have to create flaws and characters that can be exploited and you have to be able to sort of develop that as it goes through the story. And so I think that's what they're doing. Um, and also you have to look at the fact that they're making this in 2022, um, and not making it when the source material that it's based off of was, was written in the early 1900s and things have changed. And that kind of leads into one of the other topics I wanted to discuss with, it makes sense that some of your main characters are going to need to be women. And when you look at the Lord of the Rings, like it's like a 90% to 10% balance between important characters that are men and important characters that are women. And so there needs to be some way that they can balance that, right? Um, because representation matters. And there needs to be characters, even though the books don't ever really say that, you know, there were elves that had darker skin there are dwarves that had darker skin like they don't delve into that at all um and you know there's also some people that think that 
you know, Tolkien wrote the orcs to be black people and that he's a racist, whatever, whatever. I don't think that's 100% accurate either, and he's from a time or whatever. Um, but, like, I think I know a lot of rage that came on the internet about the Rings of Power were how kind of loosey-goosey or whatever they were going with, you know, having black people playing different characters and all of this stuff. Um, and, and I think you kind of just need to roll with what they're doing and that for people that are of minorities it is great to see finally a you know african-american or black elf right um you know or, or or any of these other things because then you get to build that relation to that and so i think you have to look at like this is an adaptation of things and it's of a time that it's being made right now and so that's why some of these decisions need to be made in the way that they are and not to say that there can't be arguments about that, because I don't I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying that this is my dictatorial stance and everybody else is wrong, because I think <laughs> I, I honestly do think there's good discussions that can, can be had around that. So sorry, I kind of went on a rant there on like three <laughs> different things. So I apologize on that. But I just kind of got on a roll. So friends, you're fired up, my friend. <laughs> that was good stuff. Let's uh, let's back up for just a second and let's talk about the character development, because you made yeah. some really good points in there. These characters need to have flaws. Do you think that this is just a curse of taking beloved characters and trying to tell their backstory? I think, I mean, I think we'd forgive a lot more if we didn't know who Galadriel was. Like yeah. if we were just like, if we didn't know the end point of that character, you yep. made a very similar point in our nineties video game movie show, uh, where Casey said that the, uh, what was the, uh, video game movie? The last one we talked about based on the computer simulation game space. Oh, uh, wing Commander. wing commander. He said wing commander sucked because the effects, Suck compared to the Matrix, and you said, "Well, you can't compare something to the best, the best thing that's out at that time." And I think I've really thought about that statement a lot. So you kind of reinforce that with the character growth. Patrick, would you are a huge Tolkien fan? Do you think you would have enjoyed this more if uh, if we weren't following like the main heroes of Middle Earth? We weren't following Galadriel. If we weren't following Isildur, if they had covered, if they had broken new ground, I don't know how you tie it into the actual Rings of Power and Sauron. Then, but from a character development standpoint, do you think we'd have less issues if we didn't know these characters' endpoints? Yeah. Definitely. Um, oh, I mean, there's some great color. A lot of my... <laughs> <laughs> probably a lot of my criticism is like, I didn't really, I didn't really want any of this. I, I just wanted the Silmarillion made and I didn't know <laughs> this is what it was going to be until, you know, a couple of weeks before it launched. So, so yeah, like I don't, you know, I don't want the growing pains of Isildur or Galadriel. I wanted the Silmarillion and they're, you know, they're going a different route. And I completely get, you know, what Joey said, like as a storyteller, you have to have some character evolution and you have to have, you know, they, they go through the hero's journey. They got to have some, uh, you know, they got to trip before they figure it all out. I, I, I guess I get that 100%. Um, it may even be unfair of me because they, they probably also wished they could have done the Silmarillion, but <laughs> <laughs> you know they they paid 250 million for the rights to the appendices who knows what it would cost for the the rights to the silmarillion <laughs> they probably wanted that also but they they have to work with what they are given and they're they're trying to do that it's just not what i wanted and in real quick tangent like how crazy must the asking price be for the silmarillion if like amazon if amazon can't afford the rights to the silmarillion like 
is the Silmarillion movie or series not going to happen until like Shadow? We all live in the Shadowrun world, and like Megacorps rule the Earth. I mean, I don't think it'll ever happen. Um, I don't either because I don't think it's that good. But I mean, I think it's good. <laughs> I think trying to make this into like a series or a TV show or something would be as hard as trying to make it into a cohesive novel from start to finish or a cohesive book from start to finish in that it's, it would be really difficult because it's just a lot of separate stories. And, and like the way to probably do it would be to, if you already had an existing show. So like, for instance, say rings of power just does crazy good, right? Uh, lots of people watch it. it. Whatever metrics Amazon uses to track it, it does extremely well. And then they're like, hey, this is the power of this show, right? And so then they can convince them to say, hey, these stories are important. We want to include pieces of them in there um, or alongside of it or something like that. And what you would do is you would either like release it as a companion piece. So like in between seasons of The Rings of Power you would have a couple of stories, so the children of Hurin, um, and you would do that as like a two or three episode miniseries yeah. or something like that, or Baron and Luthien, and do that as like a two or three episode miniseries. Let it live as just its thing, um, you know, or the creation of the world, you know, and make that as little one-off pieces instead of trying to say this is the Silmarillion. It's going to be a five series, five uh, five uh, season epic where we're trying to tell all these different things that don't really mesh together. Um, I think that would be the better way to do it. I still don't think we would ever see it because it's, it sounds like if they got 250 million for the end of a book, like (laughs) (laughs) it would be fascinating to know how those negotiations worked out. Right. Let's turn now to representation. Another part of, I don't want to say your rant, but your role, another part of your role was the representation. And let's use this as an opportunity to talk about some of the characters that stood out to us too. There are a lot of strong female protagonists in this from Galadriel to, uh, what is the queen of Numenor? Meliel? Muriel. Muriel, I think. Right, Pat? Yeah. Yeah. Bronwyn in the settlement. Like there are a lot of leading ladies in this. And as much as Galadriel irked me, like that was the female character that I glommed on to the most yeah because i don't know the fighting was cool uh-huh i don't know how to tie this back into representation burns save me no i just think i think it, it's still i think it ties back to the fact that you know you know when the story and these are stories that they're creating mostly for this like i don't remember well i never read the appendices so i mean maybe pat would be able to explain this or not but um i know there's some about muriel in the silmarillion um but not a lot when they talk about Numenor. Um, and I don't know if in the appendice, in, in the appendices, there's anything around either Arondir or Bronwyn um, and sort of the battle in the Southlands. Right. And so, you know, they're creating right. these things. And so they have the opportunity to try to create that. And it makes sense. Like if you have a small village in what is like a medieval world, the men go off to fight wars, they get killed, they get taken hostage, whatever happens to them. So a lot of the times what you have left are the old men and the women and children. And so if a town or a group of people are going to survive, somebody has to stand up and try to like, you know, rule that or run that or, or try to organize the people to help save them. Right. And so then, you know, Bronwyn ended up becoming kind of that character. And so it's, 
that like is kind of genuine and how that developed and grew and built and and so on and so forth and it's good for people to see that because if this was just a, a bunch of you know men elves men dwarves and uh and men humans that sounds weird to say that uh male humans that's maybe a better way to say it no we'll stick with men humans running around and doing all of these things in the world and there wasn't a whole lot else happening like that's going to turn off a group of people like if you're looking at it even just from a strict financial standpoint that's not going to interest everybody you know so you want to try to cast a broad net so that people can there but it's also like i mean look at it from this perspective if um for instance, say everything that had ever been created in fantasy worlds, all elves were not white. All dwarves were not white. All characters that you'd ever seen were not white. But finally, there's a show that comes out and there's a character that's a, that's a dwarf that's white. And you're like, hey, there's finally a dwarf that looks like me. Like, that's that's empowering. That makes you feel that that's cool. That's like. You know, you have a connection to that, you know, even if it's just by color or whatever, um, there's a connection to that a little bit. And I think that's important to, you know, allow people to be able to have that connection to the things that they're taking in. Because otherwise, if you never see yourself in those things, you you never you never think that you're important enough to be included in stuff like that. Do you think that? Uh, the three of us are a little bit spoiled because we play a lot of video games and most video games let you customize your avatar to look like you. Like I don't consume a ton of TV. I don't consume a lot of movies outside. of So like I, I don't always notice that because the media yeah. that I consume most video games, I often get to see in what I look like. Yeah. Though oddly enough, other than the Sims, I never create a character that looks like me. Yeah, I guess I never do either. I'm on a kick right now where I can create characters that look like Phoenix, like my Shadowrunner <laughs> was named Phoenix. So, uh, And my uh, Insomniac game that you hated with a burning, fiery passion, that character looked like Phoenix. Uh, Sunset Overdrive. Yeah. 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 Interesting. But no, I think I think there is something to be said in that too, right? Uh, talking more about characters, Burns, you were drawn to The Stranger. The Stranger is a character who is literally hurled from the sky. Uh, he, he's like a falling star. He just about crushes a hobbit encampment, and uh, he's one of the mainish characters throughout the show. What drew you to this tall, lanky weirdo? So I, I really think um, the, the big thing with that was just how they how they use that character um and his interplay with the the hobbits he meets right um and kind of that development through that uh and i like i don't want to really get into spoilers at all at this point and maybe at the end of the episode we could say hey last like five ten minutes we talk all spoilers and can postulate on whatever we're thinking on things but um I think they did a really good they, they they did a really good job of making it interesting and never really knowing because I mean the character called the stranger never really knowing like how they fit into everything what they might be who they might be um, I think they did I think that was awesome and that also helped pay off like a different like a different reveal at other at the later points of the series as well uh, and and so I th I just really enjoyed that and you know like a guy that fell from the heavens and, you know, doesn't have the power of language. So how do you communicate with that? And they have great power. And what does that mean? And how do they learn how to do that? And so, I don't know. I, I think a lot of that was just really interesting to me. Um, and then like what that brought out in like Nori 
um, and her friend Poppy and all of the other hobbits, um, I think was it was interesting. Uh, and you know, definitely there's some commonalities drawn to other works of Tolkien, you know, in that as well. That I think that that's that's cool to see as somebody that's been a fan of like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and um, those portrayals in media too. Patrick, we're going to dive into your long list of weaknesses of the show in just a moment, but your thoughts on The Stranger and just who this character, because we have to know who this character is, right? Like, given how this show is trending, we know who The Stranger is. It's just, when are they going to reveal their true identity? Possibly. It There's gradations of who it could be. I have two names in mind. Yeah. Patrick, <laughs> your, your thoughts on The Stranger? Yeah, I'm, I'm 80% sure as well. I'd be... I mean, I'd be really surprised if it was anyone else, but, uh, you know, without revealing names. Well, um, all right, let's throw the names out there. I'm going to, I mean. <laughs> no, let's, let's, let's wait till the end of the episode so people can turn off and then we can come back and say who we think it is. All right, all right. Because I right. think that's better because then if people don't want spoilers, they don't have to try to, like, fast forward through however long we're talking about it. Sure. All right, fair. Don't, <clears throat> don't say the name yet, Patrick. Don't ruin this for us. Sure, no problem. I, uh, I, I liked him initially. The, uh, they should have just uh, sped up his development. I guess he didn't even develop. He was just like a bumbling, you know, ball of chaos for episode after episode. Like he, he can't even speak. You know, he would just grunt, and it, you know, it was a, it was a fun, nice relationship initially with uh, like uh, Nori and Poppy, kind of looking out for him and things like that. And I just wanted it to to go somewhere faster. Just besides the same old, hey, we're you know, we're trying to keep him seek, you know, hidden from the the rest of the Hobbit village. But uh, he's our friend, and he's kind of confused, and he's following the star map. Like, I don't know. So I was mixed on him. I, I liked him initially. His uh, he he just didn't go anywhere for a long time. So you hated him with the burning fiery passion. <laughs> uh, also on your list of things that you hated about the show, let's. Uh... I'm going to burn through this really quickly. You listed weaknesses for the show as Galadriel. Most characters, especially the big names, the writing, the hobbits, uh, a central character that I don't want to name, and Game of Thrones comparisons. <laughs> you want me to just rip through that list? Yeah. I mean, I, we, I mean, we, why did you hate everything, Patrick? I, I mean, we mentioned Galadriel, um, and then I add actually most characters. And I'll, I'll tie that into the Game of Thrones comparisons because... Uh, 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 there was a lot of media given to this, like the, Bezos wanted to be this to be his version of Game of Thrones, essentially this kind of epic fantasy tale. And if you were to throw like all the characters from Rings of Power and all the characters from Game of Thrones into a big list and say, "Hey, start from that combined pool, start listing off your favorites." I mean, not even favorite favorites, impactful characters, characters you love and characters you you hate because they're so vile. Like, I feel like I would get 20 plus Game of Thrones characters deep before I hit a single Rings of Power person. Most of them were just uh, neutral for, or forgettable. That's, that's what I'd say. I didn't really like or dislike almost everybody in Rings of Power. They were just there. You're also comparing uh, one season of one show to eight seasons of another sure. show. And a show that's based off of, um, what, 50 pages at the end of a book and another series that's 
based off of three 4, good books and two garbage. pages in five different books. So I, I don't know. I I get lots of people have been trying to compare that because that was what they said with that. This does not, the construction of it does not feel at all like Game of Thrones. There's some of like the, you know, especially with some of the characters, there's some of the uh, political kind of machinations and stuff like that that's happening, but none of it's on the level of like Game of Thrones. Um, so I don't know. I don't. I don't really see that like at all um, of being a comparison. I, they don't feel like similar shows to me. Um, but. Well, even after one season of Game of Thrones, I remember, you know, loving, I love like Tyrion and Braun. I liked Arya and Ned. You know, I, I hated Cersei. Hated I just am, am mostly emotionless on a lot of these characters. I, you know, I kind of liked the relationship with Durin and uh, and Elrond and uh, Deesa, Durin's wife. I yeah. kind of like that dynamic. The rest of them, I just... They're just, I don't know. I could give or take any, any most of the characters in Rings to Power. Yeah, I mean, I guess if if we're going to compare that then, like, I did, I really liked Elrond and Durin and Disa. Like, like that dynamic between those three and then, like, the King Durin. Um, yeah. I really liked all of that aspect of it. Um, I did not like Gilgalad. Like, he just seemed so blah. Like, I yes. didn't know where he was coming from. So I will give you that one. But Celebrimbor, I really liked. I really liked Galadriel. Um, Haldreth, I liked a lot. Um, and I, I liked the the like the inclusion of the hobbits and like the different personalities of the hobbit people and sort of Nori being the one hobbit that kind of is mirroring a lot of the hobbits that we see in a lot of the other books. And then everybody else just being we're this nomadic race that want to wander around and go to our market and 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 gather more berries like. You know, let's just do this. Do you think the stranger will have a hard on for hobbits his entire existence? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, he got his name the stranger from doing the old <laughs> trick. <laughs> um, but then the, the that's chancellor... the big spoiler. Spoiler alert! Sorry, everybody. I didn't want to reveal that. <laughs> the, the chancellor in Numenor. Um, I think they're kind of setting up to be like that political machinations type of dude um mm. similar to maybe like not necessarily like a Varus, but but something similar to that or a Picel or someone that f was on like the king's court and trying to manipulate things that's going to make it best for them maybe Littlefinger, something like that right do you think that'll play when he's the only like politician in the show like who's he going to play off of like what is the intrigue going to be there well it'll be it'll probably be him versus the queen versus then along with like Ariandel um, and his daughter. Uh, I, so I think there's enough of those and then probably Galadriel or maybe Elrond or something like that. Like there'll be an Elvish contingent that will be in there as well. Um, so I don't know. I think there's lots of possibilities. Like this was a lot of like the setup um, to build off of a lot of those things. But I do think there's some strong characters in there that I've liked or that have been built up to be, kind of bads uh, one of them one of the characters that i really liked that was interesting to me was adar or adar i can't remember exactly how they pronounced it but basically yeah. the elf that was captured by sauron ages ago and is basically the parent of all of the orcs right they prefer uruk or uruk the urukai right and um like i i actually really was intrigued by that character 
Um, because agree. at first it seemed like it was just going to be this, oh, this is just this brooding, dark, evil dude. But you see that it's like everything he's doing is because he loves the orcs. And, like, he's was part of their creation and wants to do what's best for them. Um, and I think that's a really interesting character in the position of where everything's going to be set up. I'm really intrigued to see what happens with 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 that character. And I so I, I, I think there's characters out there. Um, I get like it not matching up to expectations of what people wanted um, or or possibly just not being similar to how the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbits like stories were. Um, and being maybe a little bit more loosey goosey with like just how everything flows or what's happening. Um, so I can get those criticisms of that also, but I, I, I think, I don't know. I think they did pretty well with a lot of those things. And if I can put some words in your mouth, I think you like the nuance to the characters, mm-hmm. uh, that no one is a hundred percent good, a hundred percent bad. That's not something yes. that I really like thought about, but that is unique. Like, the comparisons to Game of Thrones are kind of inescapable because that's like the other big fantasy show, right? right? And like the Starks are good, the Lannisters are bad. And there's small degrees of gradation. But you made a point in the show notes that there's a lot more of that gray area with these characters, which is really interesting. Yeah, really Elrond, I feel like, is the only one that like doesn't have a whole lot of like like he was put into a situation where he you said manipulate Durin. He had to like convince him, right? Um, you know, and he was put in a terrible position as to why he had to convince Durin that like, Hey, we need you to get this for us. You know, like need, like need you to get this for us, you know? And so it's kind of bad that like, he has to like put the screws to his best friend and kind of, you know, pit him against his father in order to try to, you know, get what they need to survive. Um, but I think I also, it's, it's putting that character who, Really, like Elrond was very one note in everything else, you know, in the Lord of the Rings, because he's basically he was the quest giver, right? He was there to give you the, the background behind something and go out and do this, and uh, we need you to to succeed. Um, you know, keep your they, hands off my daughter, and then yeah, and then they leave him behind, and uh, and he just you know hangs out there in uh, Lorien, you know. Well, I think it's uh, really interesting. Thinking about that gradation in the characters, no one's 100% good, 100% bad. That makes Elrond stand out because he is, as you mentioned, like the only one that is probably 90% or more good. Yeah. Patrick, did you also enjoy the Elrond character and his arc through the first season of the show? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. We we, we mentioned it a bit, but yeah, I loved uh, Elrond, just his interactions with Durin and uh, and the wife, Disa. Um I don't know how controversial we want to get. Another another criticism of Tolkien is the uh, the overtones of racism, like just the elves just tend to think they're better than everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, interracial coupling is uh, virtually non-existent throughout mm-hmm. the history of Middle Earth. Hey, it happened twice in the Silmarillion. <laughs> but but I mean, that, and that's it. And it, it's so obscure and like forbidden that. That you know, those are the <laughs> two of the greatest love stories of all time because, like, the elves overcame their, their disgust for for men. <laughs> so, are you trying to build up to saying you wanted Elrond and Disa to get it on? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, in season two, they lead to like a, just uh, open marriage. You know, they. Uh... <laughs> it's kind of like when we were in the hot tub down in Florida, Patrick, and like that couple was overtly referring to how attractive you are and like how hot your girlfriend must be. 
Yeah, that's what I'd like to see <laughs> with Elrond and the dwarves. You know, they're they're hot tubbing in a in an underground hot spring. The elven wine is flowing. <laughs> Brinzi, if you could push this show into one spinoff, what do you think would be like the best aspect of the show to focus on for its own thing? So, like, it would be a separate show that would focus on one character or one aspect. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yes, that's a good question. Yeah. Um. So I I think I would really like to see like Elrond and Durin and kind of like their like I, I I wanted to say like buddy cop but it's not a cop show but like just yeah. them palling around and doing whatever adventures led to like the stuff now I I think that would be fun and interesting because like legitimately it was so much fun to watch like those two together you know um, they were far and away my favorite part of the show yeah they were really good yeah. and so I think yep. that would be fun that would be fun to see. Uh, one uh, one thing that drove me crazy with this show, and so many Tolkien nits, but Mithril isn't magic. Like I don't know how it's healing this corruption. I don't know how like they're just gonna like wear it and it's gonna magically fix everything that's wrong with the elves. Like I just that drove me crazy that apparently Mithril has these magic powers. It's a it's it's a bit of a nitpick, but I I get where you're going there. You know they. Any any hardcore Tolkien nerd, myself especially, I think uh, there's a lot of liberties they took just to create uh, conflict or you know character dynamics between the two of them. Yeah, and that's it's it's completely made up, I guess, to create this uh, uh, the manipulation you kind of talked about or the the diplomacy between the elves and the dwarves. Well, and it, <sighs> well, and it's also you know. It's also the thing that's needed to, you know, make what's named the show's named after. Right. Yeah. And so I, I guess there's there's that aspect of it as well. And so maybe they just needed more mechanisms to try to explain, like, why it is these are so great. Because um, the book doesn't really go into it other than the fact that. Is like, there even a reference to Mithril in the book? There isn't a reference to Mithril in the book, but there's a reference to these rings of power. And so. Maybe it's that they needed to find something that would set them off or, or something else that they could put into the lore to try to show why it is that they're that much more powerful than just any other ring. Other than the fact that, like, in the book, it's like Sauron created them with his dark power. And so, I, you know, I think that's maybe what they're looking at. And, you know, the, the, the background is to how, like, the Mithril came to be or whatever tries to help explain how it would have like that those magical or magical conducive properties right um so i think they were just trying to find like what is it that makes these rings not like the ring that you have on your finger right like what what is it about them other than just somebody did a really good job making it that like actually gives it the more magical powers that they have to have to be like the MacGuffin through all of the stuff later on in the, in, in the, in the timeline. And then like, what's going to be the formulation of all the conflict of everybody, you know, in the current timeline that we're going to be exploring. I mean, couldn't they have just made up something like Mithril exists within Tolkien. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's, it's it's I think a lot of the dilemmas that we've talked about already, uh, you know, they, they need some plot devices 
and these are the ones they chose. And, uh, you know, it's it's not the perfect decision. It's not also the hugest deal that, uh, you know, the hardcore fans freak out about online. I think it's somewhere in between. Uh, they, they just want to bring in names that fans recognize and also find a way to uh, to get the next chapter of the plot moving. Before we get into the big reveal, the big twist, Burnsy, I think we have very differing takes on another character. Uh, it appears we are constantly at odds in the show. I hated Theo. I hated Theo. Theo is like this emo kid. He's yeah. the son of Bronwyn. He finds uh, an artifact of Sauron's, and like he's just this brooding kid. And he, I found him irritating the entire show until like the last thing that happens with him. But you, I think, appreciated his arc. What stood out to you about Theo? Well, so he's taking like he's taking the opposite arc of what a lot of the other characters are, right? So a lot of these other characters are starting off as these like really good people but then they have these flaws that are pulling them to darkness right and then with theo because of like him finding this artifact and definitely using it and it starting to corrupt him and sort of the other outside influences that are trying to influence him like it seems like he's going to be just pulled to darkness and like will be a, a a servant of all of that but you know then because of the influences of his mother and some other characters that he ends up, you know, being alongside of for various different like reasons, he ends up getting drawn back in the other direction towards fighting for good. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that continues to develop. But I think what I liked about it was that aspect of it, that it was kind of taking the opposite step that a lot of the other ones were. And that it played against my expectation that he was just going to go, like, full darkness, um, you know. Because it's like, after the first couple episodes, I was expecting certain things that he was going to end up doing. And, and that didn't happen. It played against those expectations. And they gave him they gave him the avenue to go down that path. And he chose not to. Um, and then, you know, slowly was getting kind of, like, built up towards other different things. So I... Th- I thought that was interesting. I mean, he still, yes, he was kind of like an annoying character, kind of like Boba Fett in episode two of Star Wars, where it's just like this little kid, like that's Boba Fett. Like, you know, <laughs> granted, he didn't have the baggage of, you know, there is no like great Theo uh, savior of Doriath or any of that crap. You know, um, it's I think it's another character that was created specifically for for the series and that's it. But um, I think that's that... what I liked about it. I think I would enjoy this show a lot more if I watched an episode and then we discussed it and broke it down and you told me why everything matters and why uh, certain things have to happen to help a character grow. Patrick, where do you come in on Theo? Tiebreaker time again. (laughs) (laughs) I keep leaning Tom. Yeah. Um. (laughs) We are the same, my friend. I mean, again, I didn't... He's another one. I was was neutral on. I didn't love him or hate him. Um, I... I don't know. I'm probably right down the center. Theo, Theo, I I liked kind of what Joey mentioned, where he uh, he started off all in on this artifact, um, kind of realized it wasn't doing him or his community a lot of good. Uh, eventually, uh, we hope redeemed redeemed himself by the end of it. But uh, uh, I don't know. He was he was unne- he was an unnecessary character in my opinion. <laughs> oh, I would not say that. <laughs> like he's unnecessary because he's not someone that we've does has a name that we've known about 
Um, and then see, that's the interesting catch 22 that we continue to fall, fall into. It's like, you know, Galadriel you say, can't meet our expectations. Yep. Cause, cause she's, if she had a different name, you'd really like her character. And now we have somebody else. that's a, a completely specific character to this and, and did like, he did things that were purposeful throughout the entirety of the series. Um, but because he doesn't have the name, he's not important enough. So why was he even there? And so it's like, you know, and that the problem with going into watching stuff in general is that we all have our expectations coming in. We all have, we all know what we're expecting and we all know what we're seeing. Um, and, and then depending upon what those expectations were, if something doesn't meet that, it's a negative. And then it continues to like that, that continues to fester and the darkness continues to grow and Sauron wins and you hate the show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, it's it's tough. Like it's really difficult when you love something and you're really into something, and then it doesn't live up to your expectations. And I've been there before too. Like X Men Three was a was atrocious and 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 completely like killed comic book movies for a good long while for me. And it's it's easy to fall into that. Uh, and I don't know. It's 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 difficult. It's a difficult scenario for them to be into, and I'm not going to feel bad for them because they're making money and they they spent a lot of money and whatever. Um, I just I don't I enjoyed it. I I don't know. I wish two of you would have enjoyed it more, but I can understand <laughs> why you didn't. Um, well, there is a big reveal at the end of the first season. There's a big twist. There's yeah. a big thing. I think we all kind of expected this to happen. Like it's something, given the setting, given the universe, given the world, it's something. We expected, but did it carry any emotional punch? Did they do it well? Did you see it coming? How it happened? I mean, I saw it coming when they started to reveal it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't really have an inkling before that happened. Um, For my part, I play a game whenever we watch murder mysteries, and my wife is a huge fan of like murder mysteries, so mm-hmm. we watch a fair amount of them. And I play the guessing game; like I always try to guess the antagonist, the killer, and like usually it's a numbers game. Through process of elimination, I will get to the end point at some point, yeah. um, just by guessing everybody. And I was doing the same thing here because I expected this to happen, but it surprised me. I did yeah. not, I did not guess this one right. Yeah. What did you think, Pat? Um, I, without saying it, I, I guess I was wrong as well. I, I did not see that coming. I don't know how much you want to say here. We'll uh, we'll keep this part very generic, and then after I do the okay. outro, we'll do a complete spoiler reveal. Okay, I was also surprised then. All right, <laughs> big reveal. Well done. <laughs> uh, where does the show go from here, Patrick? You're phenomenally disappointed by the show. I think you hate everything about it. Where where does Rings of Power go, and do you see it ever living up to your expectations for well, it? <laughs> And I think I think Joey's right on a lot of his defenses. I don't think it's... I'll admit completely it's unfair that I wanted the Silmarillion and didn't get it, and now I'm upset with most of it. I still want I still want to see the big events that happen in the history of Middle-earth. So, you know, it, it really looks like they're going towards the uh, kind of corruption of the Numenorians. Um, that... Again, I don't know if this is a spoiler that ends with them making some pretty bad decisions. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to happen. I'd love to see that. It also looks like uh, uh, we're going to see the events of Durin's Bane, which I think casual fans of Lord of the Rings should know what that is. It looks like they're they're headed towards that, uh, that direction as well. So I'd love to see those two events. Um, uh, 
the stranger, you know, I want to see him kind of kind of reveal himself officially. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And what he does in the the early days of uh, him being who we all think he is. Uh, so, I'm really excited for those things. So Cindy, and I, I'm rooting for this series. I, I want it to 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 kind of be more what I what I was hoping for. Turn Bernsey, where do you see the Rings of Power evolving? Uh, I mean, there's a lot that I feel like I can't delve into without spoilers. But kind of like Pat was saying, oh, now I'm choking on phlegm. Uh, um, Hooray, phlegmcast. Yes, uh, I, I, I'm really interested to see how they how they do the fall of Numenor. Because, I mean, it seems like that's definitely where they're going uh, with all the Numenor stuff. I mean, I mean, they foreshadow it directly multiple times. So, yeah, you, you kind of think that's where it's going. Unless they debate us. I mean, they could do that, too, in some way, shape, or form. Um, so I'm really interested to see that. And then... Uh, I'm also curious to see, especially the characters that were created specifically for this show, like how they continue to evolve and what roles they end up playing in different aspects of the show. Um, do you think that they're all going to die tragic deaths or do you think they're going to accomplish heroic acts that get overshadowed because they're not the named characters? I, I could foresee it being both. Um, some will do one way, some will do the other way. Um, I could definitely see that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really hard for hard to know for sure. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what's next. I mean, and, and like we said earlier, like, I think the battles were all great. There's going to be more battles. And so I, I'm really excited to see how that plays out. Um, and, and yeah, just how everything continues to develop up to the main points that we've read about, um, or know about from the other aspects of of the canon and the things I want from the future of the rings of power is I want to know more about the other rings. Like they focus yeah. really on the three rings for elven Kings here. Like I'm interested in the rings that corrupted the dwarves that corrupted the humans. Like I hope that though we learn more about those and see how that affects the lives of middle earth. I also want to know who the stranger is and we'll get into a spoiler discussion. I feel pretty confident in my guess. Um, and I also want to know how Galadriel learns magic because, like, she's such a powerful character in LOTR. Yeah. I think there's a lot of growth for, like, she's an awesome warrior in the show. Mm -hmm. Like, she, I think Morford Clark is actually a very gifted physical actor. Like, it mm -hmm. seemed like she did a mm -hmm. lot of the stunts herself. And, like, Mad Props, where we talked about that on, uh, was that the video games show where we talked about the oh. evolution of actors yeah. into more physical <laughs> roles? Um, ultimately, I didn't like this first season of the show. I thought the twist was great. I didn't dislike the show. I came in somewhere in the middle. Like I it I was disserved by my blackout mode and expecting one thing and getting another. Um, but I am excited for future seasons and I am excited to see how they build on this. Bernsey, you love the show. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I really I really liked it. And, Where would um, you put it on par with other fantasy shows? Like I know it's not completely fair to compare it right. to game of thrones I, it or still doesn't Witcher. match up to game of thrones from that perspective but it's pretty different from that um i think game of thrones is very unique in that it's really focused on the characters and it's really focused on like the interplay between them and the politics between them it's um, a political show with the yeah. fantasy scene. and it's not going this is not going i don't think to touch similarly on those veins right um but i really enjoyed it i think it, it was better than like the wheel of time show that came out recently um, it's so different from the Witcher because the Witcher is so hyper focused on just Geralt. Geralt. Yeah. Um. And and um. Oh my gosh. Yennefer. I, not well, Yennefer, but uh, Ciri. 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 Oh, uh, 
brain, where are you? <laughs> um, and so I don't, I'm really curious to see how they continue to develop the characters and to, to what extent they're going to continue to be strong characters or important throughout the plot and which ones are going to fall away. Cause that can happen too in series is that a character will become less important as time goes on because their usefulness is not needed as much anymore. Um, sometimes that can be good for a show like right. looking at Big Bang Theory specifically early on it focused on Leonard and Penny eventually they get married they fade into the background and the show grew because of yeah. it because of the other cast of characters um, but the show also has made me want to go back and watch the Lord of the Rings again the extended edition because I, I don't think I've watched it in like a decade and so it's made me want to go back and watch that And I just and, watched Return of the King for the first time it's pretty good <laughs> and it also makes me want to bite the bullet and go and give no, the don't, no, go no, and watch no, the second and third no. movies. <laughs> Absolutely not. Because <laughs> I, oops, I need to at least give it a shot and, and see where it goes, even if I know I didn't really like it. There is there is a bad fight scene with Galadriel in the Hobbit movies. Oh, well, see? She's a fighter. Yeah, I mean, that scene was cool. It's the only thing I've seen from the second and third movies because Phoenix pulled it up on YouTube. She's like, look what Galadriel can do. I'm like, oh, cool, yeah, she's awesome. Still hate her in the show. And then, Patrick, your final thoughts on the Rings of Power. Uh, final thoughts. I mean, we've touched on a lot of them. It really destroyed one of my big wishes as a nerd. Like I said, this uh, this a series should have been the perfect medium for the Silmarillion. Um, Joey kind of mentioned it. I, I honestly think it should have gotten the Disney treatment where there it wasn't like one five season series it should have gotten uh, uh like he said you know a mini series for for one epic story would have been great even just a single movie you know similar to uh to what disney's doing with star wars you know you could do rogue one for for a a, a, a story that only takes two hours to tell you could do a mini series of turin you could do a mini series of uh, isildur patrick you're one of my best friends of the world but you're saying there should be a Silmarillion cinematic universe? Is that what I'm getting from you here? Yes, Middle-earth cinematic universe. For sure. For sure. Even individual tales, like we talked about. Like, you know, I mentioned earlier, and you guys kind of mentioned the other rings, right? The history of the dwarven rings. You know, what when they were created, what happens to them, how the, the seven dwarf lords and their fortunes are created. That would be great for a, a rich entity like Amazon or Disney to do just a whole spin-off series. I would love to see that, so... Uh, I, uh, ultimately, I was a bit disappointed with where they took this one. Yeah, me too. Well, if you are interested in our spoiler discussion for our Tolkien show focused on the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, stick around. We're going to do a brief outro here, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about anything spoilery that we didn't want to give away in the main show. So that's going to do it for our talk on Tolkien, The Silmarillion, and Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Next month, we'll kick off the new year with our annual board game show. It'll be New Year, New Games 2023. We'll talk about the games Adam and Joey have backed on Kickstarter, give updates on the games we've discussed the last two years for the ones that have rolled in, uh, and it should be a pretty good time. That's one of our more popular shows. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show at Patreon on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Patrick at the rogue underscore hippo on Twitter. And what's your Instagram, Patrick? Pat DeGeest. At Pat DeGeest, D-E-G-E-E-S-T. For Joey at HobbyBoxBurns and twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. I'm Tom Sidlogic at Tom Sidlogic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. 
Stay inside, kids. All right, guys, this is the end of the show. Hopefully anyone still listening is interested in spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We are going to – I mean, there's no spoilers with the Silmarillion, right? Like, that book is written – it's 500 years old, and it reads like it's 1,000 years old. <laughs> so Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, one of the things we put a pin in is the identity of the stranger. He's this tall, lanky wizard dude who's running around with a hobbit and uh, does some pretty – cool effects Bernsey who do you think the stranger is so um <clears throat> I was under the thought so kind of the whole time because you're kind of bouncing back and forth between is this is this actually Sauron like the way that they keep like pointing towards pointing towards um and so then I kept thinking like well maybe it's Gandalf you know and and you know because those it's like Gandalf and then Saruman are like the two like big wizards um so I I've been leaning that it was Gandalf but I also really do wonder if it's just another wizard because other wizards have been mentioned but aren't like main characters in the stuff that we've seen. So it's I'm like thinking that maybe it's like a 15% chance that it's just another wizard that's maybe randomly been mentioned. I think if that was the case, they would have told us his name. Could be. I think he would have been named. I, <laughs> I briefly held, hope, held out hope that it would be like Radagast the Brown because I thought that was fun. But I don't know if they have the rights to Radagast the Brown. So, <laughs> well, they made the so because it's New Line made the show the the movies, right? Yes, maybe. I don't know. I don't yeah. know anything about. So rights. if they think it's New Line is a part of this, and they made the movies, so I would think that they do have because Radagast was in. Was he in the appendices? I don't know. What he was, was he briefly from? in LOTR in yeah. the written works. I so, don't remember if he made one of the extended cuts or not. Yeah. So I would think they would. But wasn't he, like, when he was portrayed in the movie, like, a smaller person? Uh, I don't recall. He had, like, a dog sled that he rode around in the grass. But he was not, He was like, a goofy guy. And yeah. he was, like, he was, like, not a tall human like the stranger is. He was smaller. I think he was still human, but he was definitely smaller, wasn't he? No. If I remember correctly, when he was riding around on the dog sled. <laughs> Patrick, you're our Tolkien nerd. Who is the stranger? I'm uh, I'm about the exact same odds as Joey. I'd say I'm about eighty to eighty-five percent sure it's Gandalf, and uh, the the non-percentage of that would be yeah, generic wizard. There are other, I forget their exact names. Myar, I think, but I thought it was Istar. Oh yeah, Istar. You're right. Yeah, yep. nailed there it. there are like there are at least five, and uh, Gandalf's the most famous. Radagast is second, and there are other ones that I think just have a name in, in Tolkien lore, but they, they do exist and do things. Well, I think uh, you're forgetting a big one. I think it's 60% it's Saruman, 40% that it's Gandalf. <sighs> I mean, I don't know. I think that they're just dropping so many hints and maybe it's to lead me astray, you know, but he's uh, immediately befriended by hobbits. Uh, he's got the scene with like the, the uh, talking to like the moths, which Gandalf pulls back. In uh, in Lord of the Rings, he does that a few times. Um, I don't know the fire that comes later, but Gandalf eventually gets the uh, Elven Ring of Fire, so he's always kind of been the uh, the fire wizard amongst the wizards. Mm -hmm. I th I think they're just little breadcrumbs that he's Gandalf, unless they're intentionally trying to trick me. Right, yeah. which they were throughout the first part, as they were like telling you it was Sauron yeah. from like the three white ladies that were. Yeah, those evil elves were crazy. Uh huh. Yeah, that was a pretty cool part. Yeah, pretty pretty awesome effects with that too. And like she blows the fire, it's like, oh, that looks freaking 
awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the other spoiler thing we can talk about now, Sauron. Of course he was in the show. Of course he was oh, in yeah. the Rings of Power. I never, well, I had an inkling because uh, Halbrand, that's the name of a human from like the Silmarillion. Like, and that line had died off because I specifically looked up Halbrand in the index to um, the Silmarillion. So uh, given that, I guess I'm surprised that I was surprised by it, but I thought they pulled that off so well in that moment where like Galadriel tries to stab him in the heart. It's like, oh. That was sweet. Yeah, I don't know why she ends up sleeping in the river after that, but uh, <laughs> well, because it's his his dark power he used to do whatever to her to do that. I think is what it was. Yeah, so he could get away. I the, the they had such a funny joke with them too. Like the two of them are talking. He's like, I want to stay in Numenor because of course, and Akalabeth, like he spends three yeah. years in Numenor and baits them into riding after their doom. I thought that was just a really really funny joke. Yeah. Well, and. <laughs> And so, yeah, so I, yeah, I did not think it was him at all um, until then the stuff with Celebrimbor when he's like, you Nerding know, he out. was super injured and supposedly like in bad health. And then, oh, they tended to him for a day. And now he's like, hey, want help with this? Oh, this looks awesome. Oh, you could do this. Oh, you could. And that's like, it seemed really weird. Like, granted, he had like this basis of being like a smith that was laid before that. But it was like he was a little too eager um, and a little too in the right place at the right time. Yeah, he definitely baited Galadriel into it. And I think Sauron is just a fascinating antagonist. I love yeah. him because I'm a sucker for a charismatic villain, and he can make himself appear whatever he needs to be, wherever he needs to be. And I just, I love that. And, like, I am behind Sauron. Like, I am rooting for the downfall of all of Middle-earth. Well, I mean, you're going to see <laughs> him succeed a lot, so you probably pick the right side. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. That's one of the things that I'm really interested is to see now that that's revealed, like in season two, like how how does he act? And now that we know that he's that, like getting sort of that like irony of you know who he is, but the other characters don't for for the most part. Like, how is that going to work? And is he going to take on a different form and somehow trick people that way too? Like, I don't know. I'm super intrigued to see like what they do with that character. And I think they did a, they did a really good job of, of developing that through and, and holding their cards to the chest and playing it out when the way they did. Do you think that they will phase him out in season two? Now that we know who he is, do you think he'll assume a new form? Do you think that they will focus on the other characters? I mean, what is Saren going to do? That's interesting in season two. Well, he's going to help the men and help the dwarves build the rings of power that they have, right? Because Sauron made those with the men and the dwarves. In the Silmarillion, he made those with the men and the dwarves. In the story in the Silmarillion called the Rings of Power, which, <laughs> I mean... It comes back to a rights issue. If it's in that yeah. printed book, I don't... That's it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Because what... I guess that that with when it comes to the rights, like what counts as the Silmarillion? Is it just the Quenta Silmarillion? Oh, or interesting. is it the Rings of Power? Because Numenor, there's lots of Numenor stuff, stuff that's referenced in here, that's mentioned in there. So they we, clearly are able to talk about those characters. We spent two hours talking about the uh, the Lord of the Rings. Are you, you going to go and read those appendixes now to see what we can learn about the show? Because I, for one, I'm not. I mean, I never no. did, so I would be curious to look at it and see what's in it, but um, I remember trying to read it when I was a kid, when I finished the Return of the King, and it was just like, 
no, no. <laughs> it doesn't, none of this makes sense anymore. Uh, any other spoilers that we want to talk about from the show? Was there any big things that we avoided talking about on the main show? So yeah, I seriously thought I thought that Theo was going to kill his mom. Like that's where I thought that was going, and that at one moment he was just going to stab her, and then he was going to be the key linchpin to like the darkness taking over. That would be dark. Um, I, I think they. Did, I also really liked the whole thing that they kept calling it the Southlands, the Southlands, the Southlands, and there was like that inkling in the back of my head was like, okay, is this going to eventually be Mordor? But then they win, and it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, so maybe not. And I then, thought Mordor was in the north. I, uh, I mean, I could use more maps of Middle Earth. <clears throat> no, it was always. I always. Yeah, I, I was pretty sure I. <laughs> the the nerdy answer is that uh, the events of the Lord of the Rings all take place in essentially the northwest of Middle Earth, <coughs> and all other realms are virtually ignored. But uh, for the the northwest realm of Middle Earth, Mordor is in the southeast oh interesting so it's it's technically kind of more towards the center of middle earth but uh you, you never really Go hear about anything parts. beyond that further south in the books huh so yeah and i thought i thought the whole like fall of the southlands into mordor i, I liked how that played out um and i'm really curious like if you can actually create a volcano with the river it worked <laughs> Geothermal energy, dude. Yeah, cool effects. Like that looked yeah. awesome. Um, yeah. So that because that, the, the other thing that I'm really interested to see where it goes in season two is like, is Adar or Adar really going to be a hundred percent behind Sauron, or is he going to see that like Sauron's just using the orcs and doesn't care about them as people? Um, Adar is gonna die. Well, I figure he's going to die, but like, it's like, how is that going to happen? Is he going to, in some way, defy Sauron in a meaningful way? Um, I think it's going to be just like in Double Dragon to go back to our '90s video <laughs> game movie show again. They're going to call a meeting with all the orcs, and like, Sauron's just going to murder Adar in front of all the orcs, and they're going to be like, "All right, cool, we follow Sauron now." <laughs> Possibly, I guess I could see that. I don't, I don't think that that's how it'll go, but oh, I guarantee it, one hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, they the could do lots of weird things. Like he could create some weird splinter group of orcs that ends up fighting against the orcs of Sauron in some way, shape, or form, but it doesn't actually end up meaning anything consequential other than to the happenings of this story kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It, there, there, there's lots of possibilities of where a lot of that could go, I think. Do you guys think we will see an Ent in, at any point in this show? Wasn't there, wasn't there, they, they briefly showed one for a little bit at one point, right? I don't remember an actual like moving, walking or talking tree in the show. I thought there was a time when, was it, it was when the meteor was falling through the sky and at one point they showed it flying through the sky and I thought there was a couple of trees that were moving oh. in one of the scenes, but that's all, I think, I'm pretty sure that that's accurate. Good catch. I didn't see it, but I, I will say yes. I think uh, I yeah. think they'll add some ants. They're going for uh, everything they can, and there, there's there's some old ant stories that <laughs> need to be told as well that I'd love to see. The ant wives, where'd they go? You know, I love you, Patrick. Eagles, there'll be eagles. I'm sure. <laughs> I was surprised there weren't any eagles. Like, given the prominence of eagles across the Silmarillion, and again, stupid rights issues, but like the eagles are prevalent across other Tolkien works too. 
Yeah, I guess they didn't paint themselves into a corner enough where they needed them to get them out of it yet. <laughs> um, so season two, that that's something like Lost really started to run into those corners in like season three. So we'll see lots of eagles by season three, I think. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, that is going to do it for our show on Tolkien, the Silmarillion, Lord of the Ring, the Rings of Power. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next month. Bye, guys. Bye. And if anybody well, else has any other weird theories or thoughts, let us know, because I'm intrigued what other people think. Yeah, overratedpod at gmail.com or at ThompsonLogicOIO on Twitter. I'm your host, Tom Logic, and we are toking it up this week, this month, with the book, The Silmarillion. I'm going to... Start that over? Yeah. yeah. Was so Give close. that another shot? Yeah. yeah. Who's hungover now? <laughs> your mother, Patrick. <laughs> you were partying with your mom last night? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Either way, you have some level of familiarity with Tolkien's GB. Words, man. In the user reviews, <clears throat> sorry. Oh God, I'm dying. <laughs> Why is that funny for you? You are you are dark, my friend. <laughs> and thus ends the tra- the tragedy of Thompson's logic. First of his name, <laughs> dude, a nasal drip. What a way to go. Let's get in that f- time machine.